Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. I'm thrilled to introduce my next guest. As our paths first crossed in a different lifetime, we'll talk about this trailblazing experience. He embarked on his journey as an NBC page on the East Coast in 1989, marking the beginning of a long and fascinating career. His anecdotes are not only priceless, but also timely. Get ready to hear his entertaining tale involving Chevy Chase, and rest assured, it doesn't include falling off a stage. It's a real pisser. Discover the intriguing tale of how Sam Kinison extended more than just a late night snack during our guest stint at the 15th anniversary celebration of Saturday Night Live. His sense of style was perpetually ahead of the curve, and you won't believe what he did with his polyester uniform. You'll hear how he strutted down Fifth Avenue, always looking impeccable. Get ready as he shares stories about one of his absolute favorite individuals, an iconic veteran of the television industry. He was the undisputed holder of the singing crown, and if you've tuned in to WNBC during the holidays, you know there's one cherished tradition that New Yorkers and employees eagerly await. Our next guest was the Pied Piper. You'll hear how he managed everyone to play along. He had the prestigious role of playing the bouncer at the legendary Saturday Night Live cast parties. And indulging in Sunday morning football is a real treat. But our next guest took this to the next level with his mini gambling haven nestled in the heart of 30 Rock. I'll bet you're gonna love this story. Also, our next guest is not the father, but he could have been an uncle. Tune in to discover how crossing paths with Maury Povich turned out to be a life-changing moment. He'll also share heartfelt memories of a dear friend who left this world too soon. However, after you hear the tales of this friend, there's no doubt he's up there looking down, enjoying a good laugh. Never underestimate NBC security. They've earned their stripes and their stories pack a punch. Get ready to hear why you should never mess with the force that is NBC security. He's set to offer a toast to Matt Lauer before the infamous scandal unfolded. Hear his unique perspective. In the 90s, crime families held a firm grip on the city, but there was one man who sought to tell their stories for WNBC News. Remarkably, this individual ascended to become the Deputy Commissioner of Intelligence and Counterterrorism for the NYPD, and before that, the FBI and ABC News. Our next guest will reveal how his friendship with this man played a transformative role in his life. And if that wasn't enough, you'll hear a tale of how both of them chased the elusive Zodiac Killer. 
Tune in to discover the wild story of how he found himself on the receiving end of a memorable beatdown during the taping of Donahue. He boasts an impressive resume as an executive producer, producer, and writer, contributing his talents to renowned projects such as Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, Training Day, Agent X, the TV series Numbers, Arrest and Trial, and even clinching an Academy Award for the impactful film Twin Towers. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to present the one and only Mr. Rob Port. Mr. Rob Port, everybody. Thank you, Woo-hoo. David Katz. So nice to, to hear you or see you. I guess uh, it's a combination of both since the viewers don't know that we're seeing each other in Zoom. But, you know, before you go further, David, you know, you and I have a crazy, crazy history that you may or may not remember. Do you know? Do you know? Well, our, I do. Our... And actually, in our in my little tease, I said we're going to talk about our trailblazing experience I, yeah, and I, and i believe that i think it was called the trailblazing thing it, i think that it, the, it the, was but you're missing one when oh, i was okay I, what you're, when we were a senior in high school i turned around you grew up in long island correct correct yes and i turned around one day and i saw you standing at the locker across from me i'm in westchester so it's an hour drive away you were dating a girl that was in my senior class i said david katz what the heck are you doing here and you you were in my high school. And then the third, the third crazy thing is my first day as a page, when they did my training, you walked in. I said, David Katz, we went on a teen tour together. So that's three separate times in our life that we randomly ran into each other. Wow. Wait a second. So let's go back to the to the girl thing. So yes. uh so what was her so okay, so I was in your school. I turned around. We had a senior lounge. I looked around. I always remembered you because you were we, you and I were very good friends on our team tour. We had a lot of laughs together. You were one of my best friends. Maybe you felt differently, but I always thought you were. Yes, we had. And a we had a time. lot of laughs together. You were with a, a good buddy of yours uh, from high school as well, who I can picture. I can't think of his name. And there was a girl, and I went, "Oh my God, David Katz!" And you were like, "Oh yeah, this is my girlfriend. I'm dating her." And I went, "Wow, what a small world!" And then five years later, my first day of being a page, who walks in, David Katz. So the, there you were throughout my throughout uh, my life. Uh, yeah. So well, it pretty- is it is funny because because we and we'll talk about this because we have a lot to talk about. But but in a way, uh, I guess you were my big brother uh, <laughs> as I sort of progressed through you know doing things because you were always you're always one step ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but but I wound up following it just through coincidence, wound up following, you know, similar paths, you know. Yeah, yeah. We had a lot of um, we had a lot of good stuff together, good times together. Yeah. Wow. So okay. So her name wasn't Kim, was it? Does it ring any bell? I have, have no been. idea. That's so funny. That I'm yeah. I, and it's it funny. I find in my old age, uh, I'm literally forgetting like what I did yesterday. I can't remember I, things. I it's did. weird. I can't remember what I did yesterday. I don't know most of my kids' names, but I do remember this vividly because the odds of me spinning around. Because of course, tenth grade that summer we were out west. So many funny memories from when you're a kid, and I wish I could remember your best buddy's name who 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 is with us. And off here we can talk about this, but we had oh, so man. much fun. You and I, and and there were a couple of, we were sort of a gang of four there, and we would we would go in the, in the Grand Tetons and set up tents and, and get in all sorts of trouble together. And we had a great summer, and then I never spoke to you again. And then, bam, there you were in my high school for about an hour. And then there you were, we, we were pages together. And, of course, you got, we, we you know, right. I was instrumental in bringing you into advertising and promotion and all that stuff. Right. And so we, we ended up having, like, a, a, a second life together. Yeah, it was insane. And then we'll just touch on that. So when we were, were we 13 or 16? It was. Uh, I remember, when I remember out, there were different. Uh, you mean when we went out west together? Yeah, we went out west. Summer tenth grade, we were like 15, 16, uh, 16 years old. Yeah. Okay. And we went and six only... weeks, forty-two nights, 
camping and I've never been camping again. I absolutely hate the national parks because of that. We were in rain and snow and there was a scorpions in our tent and we had to pitch a tent every single night. And I'm proud to say I have never and will never go camping again after that. That's really, so for the listeners, <laughs> a very long story short, when we were, and it's funny, I remember I, the reason I said, I forget if we were 13 or 16, because I think they were like, do you want to be the older kids or the younger Correct. kids? And I guess we, we chose the 16. Okay. So we went on this thing called the teen tour. And I guess we were 16. And I remember we, the first night we flew to Colorado. Yes. And correct. there was a torrential rainstorm. So correct. our tents were literally a big pile of correct. mud. And they correct. said, welcome to your camping experience. It was and you, Jason Haas, who was my good buddy from high school, and your good buddy. The four of us were in a tent together. And we woke up in like eight inches of rain. And it was, yeah, we had a great summer, but the, the weather was never in our favor. It was insane. But it was, but but the, so the short of it, we we wound up, you know, we had a great time. We toured around the whole sort of west half of the country. Yep. And we wound up sleeping in tents the entire time, traveling everywhere. Yep. Uh, I I don't know if I necessarily wanted to go because I, I that I mean I was like my homesick. I don't. But it was a great experience. Like when I went, it was so cool. We traveled everywhere. We went to Canada. We went to Mexico. Matter yeah, of fact, yep. I snuck a switchblade knife in yes, my you sneaker. Did. If yes, you even you remember that. And I still have it in my apartment somewhere, <laughs> which is yeah. insane. Well, I, you um, use it on occasion. I heard that's how you get your beers. Yep. I, yeah. And I remember the first night you had beer. I don't know how. At 16, I was very impressed. You said you want a beer. And I said, okay, I don't know how you had it. I don't know if you brought it on the plane or you stole it from the plane. But I thought right away, this guy and I are going to be friends. And so it worked wow. out well. Wow, that's really funny. And again, I was always like Uncle David. And I guess I always looked older. So yes. I, you know, I would, I would get beer for people, but even. Yeah, um, you did. Now right. we're going to be friends. We're going to have a good summer together. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Okay. So Mr. Rob Port will, will, um, again, there's so many things to talk about. Um, I can't even, uh, begin and well, so, so, so here it is, you know, we had this deal then, then again, on the first day of our page orientation, you know, you you come in and you're supposed to sit, you know, and, and start your, your page page them. You know, yeah, I'm I walk in or you're sitting there and and then we look at each other and we're like, what the hell are you doing here? Exactly. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Yeah, it was five of us. We were in our little page training and there were actually 65 pages. There was a list, if you recall, in the little locker room, wow. 65 pages. I was the 65th hired and then there was a hiring freeze. They didn't hire another page for six or seven months. And the and the head of our page program, Janice Panino, absolutely detested me from day one and there was always this threat that i was going to be fired but we can talk about more of that in a second <laughs> it's funny we i've had janice on the show so we could talk about that I'd like um to. now it's funny uh right so first of all your memory is already i can see better than mine because i don't remember <laughs> any of that but um but yeah so we're sitting there it was you know we started his pages together and i guess let's you know what let's um i don't know if we should talk about well we'll talk about some of your assignments later yeah, but let's let's get into some of the fun stuff where sure. you um you I guess had an uh, uh, you know uh, an instance with Mr. Chevy Chase who didn't yeah didn't so involve it, falling it, off it, it's face. it's funny that you mentioned this story this is great so you know Chevy Chase who's had this sort of you know some people love him some people hate him life uh but but he was always my hero it's why I wanted to get involved in 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 television I have this photo that I still have. It's this famous photo of him in the kitchen of Elaine's with Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, and Lauren Michaels. And when I was a kid, I had that photo. My dad, my parents were divorced, so my dad would very inappropriately let me stay up and watch Saturday Night Live when I was seven years old. And I always thought that was the coolest photo. Now, years later, through my buddy John Miller, I became friendly with Elaine. I used to go drinking with John all the time at Elaine's. 
And um, I got to stand in that kitchen, never got a picture, but I always thought that was super cool. So Chevy was on Letterman. As you recall, the way it worked was there was Letterman studio was across from the live at five studio on the sixth floor. Right. Yes. And so I knew he was on Letterman and I sort of was just kind of dodging around there and seeing if I could run into him. And uh, I didn't see him. So I did go into the bathroom to go to the bathroom as one does. And as it turns out at that same moment, Chevy walks in and I know this sounds like a made up story, but I swear <laughs> it's not. So it's just him and I, I can picture this clear as day. And we're at the urinal next to one another and he's very tall and I'm going to the bathroom and I'm like, holy smokes, this is my guy, Chevy Chase at the peak of his career. And he is urinating right next to me. And so I'm just looking straight ahead because, you know, that's probably not the best time to introduce yourself. And I swear to you, Dave, and I hope it's okay to say this. He finishes his business and so do I. He looks down and then looks over at me, an audience of one. There's no one else in this bathroom. <laughs> and he goes, no semen. That's always a good sign. And then he gives me a wink and walks out of the bathroom. And I went, holy smokes. I couldn't even laugh for a minute. And, and I don't think I even appreciate it. So anyway, cut to a million years later, my very good friend, Adam Levine, not the Maroon 5 singer, Adam Levine, who worked for the Bush White House. Uh, Chevy put his Fletch script up for auction the actual and and i don't know about you you in college but my college experience more or less was uh it, it, you know just reciting lines from fletch and so when it went for auction i was with my buddy adam and i said uh whose nickname is bissell i said bis we cannot let this script fall into the wrong hands i think my exact words were it would be equivalent of letting like and i'm jewish so i can say this jewish art fall into like the nazis hands like holocaust art not be recovered so with that, he bid an insane amount of money. I'm looking at it up here. I have uh, two of the pages from his script signed by him. And um, and then I was able to speak to his uh, manager, if you will, his assistant. And Chevy sent me this whole video. And I and I told him that story. And they got a great big kick oh out of it. So God. it came full full circle. How's that? No, it's amazing. And and we've talked about this in the past. I mean, I, I remember going to the SNL cast party and peeing next to Elvis Costello. There you go. Um, you know, which, you know, and again, it's it just it's one of those things. And and and, and a lot of the pages we, we've all spoken of this, you wind up doing these things where, you know, you grow up and doing things that they're insane. You know, yeah. you, you would never think of doing these things. And the fact that you that you're you know, you grew up and you're a little kid and then even walking into SNL, you know, going into the studio and, and such, seeing it on TV is some somewhat life changing. Did you for the for when and it's funny, Brian? Do you remember Brian Grossman? Yeah, of course. Brian was you know, in our in our, in our group, right? Yeah. So I, you know, and I've talked about this before, but you know, Brian and I went into the SNL set, like you know, uh, or like during our first week, whatever. But do you have a recollection of your first time, you know, walking into SNL either by yourself mm -hmm. and just being like, what the what's what's going on here? Did you? Yeah, you I do. That? But I'm gonna t I want to back you up. Let's talk about those SNL parties because there's a great history to those. Susie Feinstein is from Scarsdale, where I grew up, was a very senior page. The, the, the top five were the senior pages and got the choice assignment. And Susie worked on SNL. At that time, they got this brilliant idea. And I don't take credit for many things in life, but I'm going to take credit for this one. Or really, <laughs> Susie did. They needed a page to work the door at the party because it was easy and, and cheap for them. And Susie said, I know this guy. And this is part of why one of the many reasons Janice disliked me, mostly because I refused to wear the uniform. I, she said, this guy, Rob Port, I know him. we grew up, he's cool, he'll work the door. So me and the director, Dave Wilson, his son, Dan, we worked the door together. Every single party, the reason that pages started going to those SNL parties, the reason that everybody 
uh, got to go in there was because Susie had had and and I would like work the door. It became a whole thing. And he and I would go on. We'd do about five shots because it would be freezing cold. And then Odeon or whatever the hippest club is, we would stand outside and we'd let all you guys in. So in no small way, I'm proud to say that I contributed to your delinquency and the delinquency of all my fellow pages, many who didn't like me because I was 65th on the list, but <laughs> I did have that super cool assignment. So to answer your question, my first memory was I was walking down the hallway and in that hallway were the elevator banks, the middle elevator banks are all the way to where the studio is on the sixth, on the sixth floor, right? Because you had two ways of gaining access. You could go, right? I mean, there were two floors. You saw the photos of all, all the old original cast members. And then and then I remember seeing Chevy's photo in Belushi. And that's the first time I felt like, wow, this is, I'm in the, in, in sort of in some, in some type of greatness. And then when I actually walked in the studio, um, because I was a little bit of a student in history and that, that studio was built for Toscanini way back when. That was the big rock star that RCA had hired and they built that studio form, which is why it's it's a floating studio. It's very famous. Um, that, that was sort of, and I imagine him being there and we saw those seats and the way you could look down. And uh, yeah, I remember thinking like, this is so cool. I'm, I'm now actually in the television business as opposed to just sitting home watching television. Right. Which my and parents it, said would never amount to anything. When oh, kind no, of I'm, I'm sorry. My brother's that. a doctor, yeah. Well, I'm very, I said, as your surrogate brother, I'm very proud of you. So thank you. Dave. I appreciate that. I'm glad. Um, so, yeah. so, so again, for the listeners, you know, on eight, when, you know, eight and nine um, are basically connected in the studio. So the studio floor is on eight and it goes all the way up to the ninth floor, which is why the SNL set is the biggest or studio is the biggest one in the building. And as you mentioned, it was for Tuscanini and it's actually floating to um, to isolate it from the rumbling of the subways. We learned that in, in our page, uh, in our page mean, handbook. I, I don't remember. Oh, and, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what, yeah. I said it was floating to, to isolate it from the rumbling of the huh. of this thing. And then also the page, which, you know, the page desk right across the hallway was a closet where they store um, lighting equipment. But if you go in there to this day and move the crap, there's an elevator bank in that in that room which uh tuscany used to get up to the to the uh to that floor his private yeah elevator. and you know about so, his gardens had you ever been up on his gardens when yes. you work okay because when you work for us up on the ninth floor at one point you were uh so so let's really jump ahead david letterman the great david letterman at that time his sidekick his announcer was a guy named bill wendell do you remember bill yeah, of course bill yeah, yeah i love i mean bill, he was bill was he incredible was, bill, he was yeah bill, bill was a legend before there was snl there was the ernie kovac show and bill was on the Ernie Kovac show. And for your listeners, look at the old YouTube clips. If you can find the Ernie Kovac show, it was an amazing way ahead of its time. And Bill was like, almost like a not ready for primetime player on that show. Bill and I became very friendly. We used to play golf together and he would insult the caddies and say all these really funny things. And um, he always paid you a compliment, Dave, because at that point you were working for the department that I was like sort of the de facto uh, because Carl was checked out. We got to talk about him. Um, and he used to always say, because you dressed so well. You wore a suit and tie every day and you had business <laughs> cards. And Bill said to me, you know, Rob, you all have to dress more like that young man. He's, look, that's how you're going to get ahead in this business is if you dress like David Harris Katz. Because you had your business cards and you had, you're always dressed in a suit and tie. So he, Paige, he's a, he's a wonderful man and uh, who, I, who is no longer with us, and I believe. And, and he, uh, he was really kind to me and funny as hell. And he always paid you a nice compliment. So you should. Wow. Know. Now, actually, you're telling me something I didn't know. And and it's funny because I, you know, Bill was the was the original announcer for Letterman, you know, or, or, or the one. And then, you know, so 
to me, he was someone very special. Um, and the fact that you're telling me, and it's so funny because ironically, I did, you know, it was funny. I, I would always dress nice. And there were days, sometimes I'd wear jeans, sometimes wear a suit, but it was funny because- You always wore a suit. When, when I, I spoke to- anything but a gray suit and tie. People always said to me, they go, David, we thought you owned the building. They, yeah. they were like, they were like, you're a page? It was really funny because I people, you know, and ironically, and, and again, we're very similar. We're very similar, but different. I mean, you're definitely a schmoozer. There's no question <laughs> about that. But I also, I mean, I had friends all over the building in every department. Yes, and people, you know, anything I wanted or needed. And again, uh, I, I always return the favor, but people would call me from all over the building and I'd, I'd get myself into all sorts of places. Oh, people loved you, Dave. You were you always know. very well-dressed and handsome and you and you were, uh, you were, uh, I don't know if this is a story I can repeat, but Bill, 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 like I said, Bill would come up and play golf with me at, at, at the club that my parents belonged to that I would, you know, snore off of. And Bill and I, Max Gomez and a guy named Bob Cusbert, we played golf together. He was a producer. Oh and Bill would put on a routine for 18 holes with a caddy, you know, who was carrying our clubs. It was like something out of the fifties. And at one point I'll never forget the guy, the caddy said, uh, and I'll keep this as clean as I can. The caddy said to, to Bill, wow, Bill, you, Mr. Wendell, you got some big balls going for that shot. And without missing a beat. And when they're middle of a country club, right? Bill goes, actually, I don't have balls. I have one. And it polishes itself when I walk. And man, I just remember we laughed for the next three holes. And it was just, I so look forward to playing golf with them because it was just all that. It was just laughing for 18 holes and these wonderful old stories of what television was like in the in the 50s and 60s. Wow. Well, let's you just mentioned two other folks, Max Gomez and Cousin. Yep. So Max, do you know that he passed away recently? I do. I was yeah. very sorry to I was very sorry to hear that. I love Max. Max so, uh was a really sweet guy. Yeah, Max. I mean, it was funny when I was when I started. Um, I remember I had well nowadays with the i everyone has an iPhone, but yep. back then I'll be proud to say that I used to carry a little sharp organizer, a wizard. Yeah, and no and I said, and I no said, I said I'm gonna put every single person that I meet their phone number in this little device. And when people would say to me, you know, what, what's the, you know, whatever it was, I had everybody's number and, and but Max also got an organizer. So, so, but he, but he can never figure out. And remember this technology, you know, the internet sure. wasn't even around. So he could never figure out how to get it onto his computer. So Max and I became really good friends because yeah. he, he'd be like, Max, bring your computer. Let me hook it up. Let's try to, you know, so we were really good friends and he was such a nice Great guy. guy. Great loved him to death. He was all he was so awesome. He went on to, you know, then go to CBS and, you know, everything else. But um, but I love the guy. And, it, and it's really it's it's so sad that he, pa he passed away. I mean, it's, it's horrible, yep. but, but I have nothing but yep. my brother interned him. him. My brother's a doctor and he interned for Max. He had like a semester where you could do something outside of medical school. And so he and Max worked together. I, I don't think they did any work, but we had a lot of laughs. And Max. Yeah, I loved him. Wow. Great guy. And then you mentioned Bob is Bob Cusbit. Bob Cusby. I haven't spoken to him in, in ages. Bob was a wonderful, great person. He was the producer of Live at Five. He did a great job. He really helped elevate it. Then he he became a really instrumental executive over at MTV. Um, mm. And then um, I had stayed in contact with him for a while, but I don't know. I'm sure he's still happily living in Pennsylvania somewhere. I had a beautiful wife, a couple of beautiful kids, and I've not spoken to him in ages. Great guy, though.
Wow. Well, it's funny because he, again, he was really fun. He was, a, I remember him as the producer of, I guess, the five or six. Yeah. Five, right, whatever. Yeah, five, five. But, but it was funny. Him and Roker had a shtick. I don't know if you remember yes, that. When Roker would walk into the newsroom, Cusbit and him would start doing wrestling moves. They would yes. start literally banging the tape. Like it's a, it's like a working newsroom. And then, yes. and then Roker walks in and they're a little like banging tables. Cusbit's, you know, banging on the table. He's got him in yeah. a headlock, you know. Yeah, and and they would do their little shtick, and then they'd leave, and and it was like, what the hell was that, you know? Yeah, they were they were great together. Al, they would love to. Uh, they they used to do this joke on me if we were in the elevator, they would um, uh, they would they would pin me in the back of the because remember they'd get off at like six, and I'd ha we'd have to go way up. They would pin me in the back of the elevator. Al would press all the buttons, <laughs> and then they'd run out, and I'd, I'd get stuck on you know hitting every floor. Two great wow. guys. Love Al, Al, Al Roker. I haven't seen him in a long time either, but great memories with Al. Just yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. Okay. So um, what else? Okay. So now, so getting back to the SNL, well, actually again, uh, me sort of following in your footsteps and a lot of things you've done. So I interviewed, you know, for the SNL uh, page, uh, you know, assignment so I got that with uh, Dave Schiff, who oh, went cool. on to write all these great things. Good. But also, but Marcy Klein was the one who had interviewed us. Did you Correct. did you interview Mar with Marcy for that position? Yeah, so so it's funny. <laughs> I can tell. Uh, so I first met Marcy because, again, I, it was the SNL 15th anniversary, which was a really big deal. It was the first time they were doing an anniversary show. I had grown up in New York and in, in Westchester, and... So I sort of knew some folks in common. And so I knew someone who knew Marcy. And even though, I, again, I was 65th on the list, uh, she had said to me, hey, you want to work the green room? And I was like, hell yeah. Uh, so from 7 a.m. Saturday till the show was over, I was in that green room. So everyone who was on that show, while they were rehearsing, everybody, Steve Martin, you know, uh, Martin Short, where I ran into right here at my local FedEx office. I told him his story. He got a huge kick out of it. Um, I saw them all rehearse and do all this stuff. So Marcy was always really uh, very kind to me. And and that was the other half, Susie and Marcy. That's how I got to work the door. But I never actually had the SNL assignment. I was kind of like black ops. I was doing advertising and promotion. They would just snatch me to to run the door at the parties because of Susie and because of Marcy and, uh, and Dan and Dave Wilson. Well, again, so so I I interviewed for Marcy for the SNL assignment, you know, so I got that assignment. But Marcy also asked me to work the door. So I used to work the door. And again, I again, following your foot. So I would, you know, I'd work the door. And, and I remember, you know, we're 21 years oh. old, whatever it is, you know, and, you know, my biggest it's funny, one of the, you know, obviously every celebrity on earth came through. But but, you know, Christopher Reeve came through, sure. which I was a huge fan at the time. And I'm like, I, you know, I could die now. I just opened the door for Christopher Reeve, which yeah. is so Well, forget silly. that. Tell me you know. your best, but tell me your best, because the key is we would get there half an hour before the party started. Yeah. So at least I used to. So tell me your yeah. best, because uh, I let everyone in. I'm telling you right now. I let yeah. everyone in because I thought this was the <laughs> one chance in my life. I didn't care who, I let him in. What did I give it? But right. tell me your best, tell me your best doorman story. Come on, give me a good well, one. I'll give you my good one. The the short, the short of it, one, one was, I think the the cool part about it. Do you remember Max and Nice Guy Limousines? Do you remember the limousine yeah, company? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. So, 100%. so, and again for the listeners, after the party, which which again is or the show is really live, and it ends at you know one in the morning. Everybody 
gets a secret, you know, they find out where the parties are. It's always a big secret. And Marcy used to hand out these little uh, pieces of paper, you know, it's at so-and-so to keep it a big secret. But then my job, because I had worked, because I, I don't know, I guess maybe because I was either working the show, working the door, but I would then bring all the talent down to the limousines. Oh, you were big time. Yeah. Put everyone in the limos. Wow. And the, and the joke was that, that either prior to the show or after, you know, Anyone that I knew, you know, any, you know, there'd be, there'd be nine women. Hey, you want to go to the SNL party? <laughs> so, you know, Max, I go like, Max. He became could, very popular. Yeah, yes. Max, could you send the limo so that, you know, Matt pull, <laughs> pull up another limo? I'd, I'd escort these women into it. And so for starters, just working in that world, I was able to, you know, shut, you know, bring all these people to the party. Then, That's cool. yeah, once you'd get to the party, I was pretty... Uh, I basically, and it's funny, it's one of those things where, you know, if you pretend you know what you're doing or you look like you belong. So, you know, I didn't necessarily know every single person that was coming in. Obviously, all the famous people I did, but some folks that came in that like they sort of pretended to be, you know, important. You kind of could tell. And it was like, no, you know, who who do you know? And, you know, and then then luckily, you know, I didn't really I don't think I made any mistakes, but that was it. I let everyone. Yeah. yeah, I let everyone in. Yeah. Well, it's so funny so, because oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go, you go. So, so the party was at Sfuzi, which was a Sfuzi, great yeah. restaurant. Remember Sfuzi? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was right across from Lincoln Center. And I get there, and 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 Dave Wilson was the director, and Dan was his son. So Dan and I would customarily we worked the door. We'd go in, we'd do our customary three or four shots at the bar, and then to stay warm, and then we'd go outside. And I got there, and I was standing there, and out walks because the restaurant would just be closing down. Out walks is a very timely story. Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein, of course, a wonderful new movie with Bradley Cooper. Now, six degrees of separation. My grandmother grew up next door to Leonard Bernstein, Sharon, Massachusetts. Okay, they knew each other when they were kids. So I thought, well, here's my chance to really see if my grandma is, you know, full of it or if it's a true story. And Leonard, at that time, as he was well known to, would always wear these big, magnificent capes. And, um, you know, in the interest of, of, of just, of just, being sort of PC, he always had a uh, a group of of folks. Let's just say that around him. He always had a group of 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 young people around him, and there was there was quite a group of sycophants. These very handsome, pretty young folk around him, and uh, I thought, what the hell? So I sort of plow between them, and I said, Mr. Bernstein. He looked at me. I said, I think you know my grandmother, and I mean that's a line you don't hear every day. And I said who my grandmother was, and then he. Uh, looked at me and sort of the recognition in his eyes and he took me in his arms. I'm not making this up. And he hugged me. He said, Oh my God, I love you, grandmother. And he kissed me. And now there's a paparazzi nearby who's actually taking a photo because they don't know what the hell's going on. And uh, I think that that was my favorite, favorite, even though it had nothing to do with the party. That was my favorite story because I went home and told my grandmother the next morning and she was just so delighted, you know, that after all these years, that was his visceral reaction. He used to play piano at my grandma's house because his dad did not want him to be a musician. So there you go. Well, and it's funny. I, you know, two, two interesting things on that. One is I do remember, actually it was funny. um, You know, I I, I remember going to Ashford and Simpson's birthday party (laughs) with, with Sue Simmons and like, and, and uh, David Diaz. And, and, you know, so we're sitting and it was at one of these really big clubs. I don't know. So, I literally said I was sitting down and I went I to that. yeah I went to the bathroom and I come back with two women 
And I remember David Diaz said to me, he goes, he goes, David, I want to know what the hell did you say to get these women to come back to the table? Like, like you were gone for like a minute. And shockingly, I don't, I don't really remember what I said, but I wound up becoming friends, friendly with these women. And literally we, we, they invited me, they one lived in Washington, Kerry, you know, back and forth. But I remember I took them both to the party and I remember Alec Baldwin was one of the many times that he was there, but yeah. I got a kick out of her, like meeting him and like taking sure. pictures with him and all this. Sure. Stuff. So like, that's one recollection that so just- So you tell me without SNL, you'd have no social life? Cause that's what I'm I have hearing. none, exactly, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, but uh, so, yeah, and then it's funny, one other quick story that you mentioned uh, in New York, do you remember Irv Joukowsky, Mr. G on yeah, WPIX? Yeah, of course, I remember Mr. G, he was a legend. Okay, so very long story short, I my when I grew up, my mother worked for a gynecologist, and well, I somehow, cannot wait to hear how this is connected to yeah, Mr. G. So, somehow. My mother said to me once, "Oh yeah, we Mr. G's wife comes into the office." I don't know, and this was in you know like uh, I forget you know one you know one of the ritzy places, whatever. So in any case, like a, a month or two ago, I actually went to meet. Uh, had a had a meeting with WPAX, the station manager, and I was with uh, one of the other talent in the studio in the in the on air, and we had walked into the studio because they had picks in New York. They just redid the studio, so I walk in, and who's sitting at the weather center? But Mr. G. <laughs> so literally, and again, I I don't know if it's just being a page or whatever, sure. but I go, Mr. G. I said, Oh my God, it's such a pleasure. I go, Let <laughs> me ask you a question. <laughs> did your mother go or did your wife go what? to yeah, the gynecologist, yeah. you know, in, in back, you know, 30 years ago? So he literally so funny. Yeah. He looks at me and he's like, who the hell? Like, he, he was like, yeah. he looks at the guy that I was with. Who the hell is this guy? And what? <laughs> so he like gets up and he's like, he's like, he's like, who are you? know? He goes, first of all, she's my ex-wife or whatever. Yeah. And then he just was like, like, who are you and what are you doing here? And and. And That's he never fine. even answered my question, but I, but I wound up telling him, I said, listen, I grew up with you. The whole, sure. you know, all of New York did. Now the weather with Mr. G. Yep. Oh, it was amazing. And he's still on the air. So yeah, uh, it was just, but it is, but again, it's just funny to, to sort of just walk up to someone that you haven't, you know, that you, yeah. you know, we see him on the air and you, people think we know them and whatever, and you obviously had a relationship, but in, in, in oftentimes being a page, and we've talked about this before as well, you have about five seconds to make a to 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 react. Yeah. So when you saw him, you literally said, "I either ask him now or the chance." No, that's that I'm what gonna... you got to do. And, the, yeah. and and we could talk all for the rest of the time yeah. about those about those moments, right? Like I can tell you, Paul McCartney, super cool, said hi to us, chatted with us for a second. Lauren Michaels never gave us a time of day. You know, uh, Steve Martin um, was was super cool when I met him. I mean, you, uh, Marty right. Short was amazing. I told you, I ran into him in my post office, and we had a really good laugh. Um, because I, I reminded him of this story when he he and Steve Martin were coming up with this incredibly witty bit for the 15th anniversary, and he was just blown away that I remembered it. And then we talked about John Candy, his dear friend, and uh, I I one day filled in. I got lucky. I got I always was the last call, but I was you know people get sick a lot, you know, and so when someone got sick, you know, I would hope for people to get sick, I would get their slot. So Costas had a great show back then. Uh, Bob Costas had a great show um, that would go from like 12:30 to one. And he would tape five in a row. And I got to fill in one day. John Candy was on. So I got to spend the day with John Candy and Johnny Bench. And it was mm. it was an, another awesome day. So, yeah, a lot of the celebrities 
were very gracious. A lot of them didn't give us a time of day, completely understandably, by the way. And mm-hmm. some of them were definitely like Steven Seagal. That was a notorious, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was I was working when he was there. Um, you but, work the show. That's the that is yeah. the infamous. Yes. SNL show there, that that color. that, that yeah. he, he's he officially is the is the least liked yes. guest on SNL. Yeah, there was another part of the story which I'm not going to say on air that I didn't witness. Thank God, but there's a there's a, there's a first part of that story supposedly something inappropriate that happened uh, oh. happened in um in earlier in the week with one of the with one of with somebody else. But I'm not going. Right, right. I don't know if it's true, and I'm not going to you know right. slander anyone and. You know. Right, no, I hear you. Yeah. Um, no, it's amazing. Okay. So get it. Okay. So now getting back to SNL. So Sam Kinison. Yes. Was was on that 15th anniversary. And again, I just also I was not scheduled to work the SNL 15th because we had just started. Correct me if I'm wrong. And it's funny, you're you and Grossman are the only two, you know, but didn't we yeah. just start like and it was uh, like a yeah, week we started later. about we started about four months earlier. Uh so oh, yeah, we started right in the summer, and that was in yeah, and that was uh that was in like September, October. So you're right. We were probably about four months into it because, you know, I don't, we don't have enough time to get into this, but the way I got to advertising and promotion, you know, all of, everyone was getting spots. There was a phone call. I was sitting there and Janice begrudgingly said to me, you have to go upstairs. There's this thing called our advertising and promotion. They need someone to answer the phones. And her literal words to me were behave yourself. I don't know what she thought I was. I went up there and I turned that into a, a not only a permanent page position, which became the most desirable position, but a permanent job. But we can talk about that in a minute. But anyway, yes, the 15th anniversary, uh, Sam, I know Sam was on the show, but Sam was in the the uh, green room because he was very good friends with Rodney Dangerfield. So the green room that day was one at a time they would come through and rehearse. Um, Buck Henry wrote a good deal of the show. You know, Tom Hanks, Steve Martin. And it was the green room that was connected to Lauren's office. The, Lauren had the office downstairs there. And so I got to see all this. It was awesome. And they literally treated me like I, I again, appropriately so, like I didn't exist. I just sat there, saw Chevy again, gave him some rugula, you know. And so <laughs> go ahead. Now ask me a question about, about Sam once the, once the. Right. Yeah. So, so again, so for, so Sam was in, and again, being in that green room, you know, that, that it was probably the who's who coming and going through that room. It was, but it was one at a time. You, you know. see, what happened is they would come just for their 20 minutes to rehearse. So everyone who was on that show, oh, okay. that slot, they'd be in the green room waiting. They'd look at me like, what do I do now? Where's the coffee? Where's the drugs? Where's the, the cookies? You know, and that was my job to provide two out of three of those things. Oh, okay. So Sam comes in. Correct. Uh, and it's funny, you know, he, um, um, you would never think that he drinks coffee. He, uh, perhaps, yeah. uh, you Sam, know, so Sam came in and he was one of those guys. I was, I was definitely in awe of, I, I, he was one of the, I probably saw 150 celebrities that day. And he was one that surprisingly just, he had an aura about him. That's the only, that's the only thing I can say about him is there was something around that guy when he walked in, uh, that you felt, right. I felt a, like a, what the fuck is right. it Oops, excuse me what the hell is this you know there was and, right. and yeah and sam offered i offered sam cookies and sam offered to me to go party with him and i was you know i declined it but uh it, i you know maybe i should have would have been a great story i never <laughs> did drugs, but it probably would have been fun to go do it with sam kennison <laughs> and again it, it's funny because the all of the um all of the uh drugs back in the blushy days and all this other stuff right. i mean again you know i was i was there but you know, and I never, I never saw any drugs personally. But in all these conversations I'm having with with folks, you know, apparently there's drugs everywhere. You know, which they I, were. I didn't. There were plenty of drugs. I saw plenty of drugs. I'm not going to name with whom, but 
I saw, I didn't, I, I never saw anything hardcore, like, right. like heroin or anything like mm -hmm. that, but there were recreational drugs. Absolutely. I could think of, you know, I'm <laughs> certainly not going to name them, even though it's irrelevant now, uh, folks do would routinely, uh, you know, smoke marijuana. Um, but, but, you know, I don't know if you want to get into this, but you know, alcohol was still, there was still, and this is how I'm, this is how I got hired. I mean, this, if I owe my entire career to two people, one is Maury Povich, who I love, you know, and his wife, Connie, are like my second parents. But the first, the real, real reason that I was able to get a job and succeed is an amazing, amazing, I don't get very emotional, but I do when I talk about him, who's this incredible man named Carl Killingsworth. Now, do you want to hear about Carl or? Yes. Well, the funny thing is, you again, um, let's, so, you know, let's, um, actually, let's do, let's talk about how you got the local advertising and promotion spot. Okay. And then okay. we'll go into because I love Carl, like like literally, and it's I'm gonna tear up because literally I not too long ago wanted to reach out to him because I like I was like, oh my god, I uh, I, I would away. love he passed away a long time he, ago. Yeah. Right. And I, I can't believe it because he was amazing. But so let's let's we'll, we'll do this a little bit in order. So okay. you know, you get so your I get a phone call. Janice Panino says to me, go upstairs to advertising promotion and behave yourself. I and, walk anyway, in. And, and you were on, you were at, a, you were in the lounge or you were on SNL? Yes, yeah, so I was in the lounge. I was the oh, 65th lounge. Okay. page. And let's just point out that in Janice's defense, large part of the reason she didn't like me is because we got those horrible uh, polyester slacks and polyester uh, navy coat. And I threw mine away. And I went across the street to Saks Fifth Avenue, got a proper pair of linen, you know, uh, khakis for the, for the summer. And then of course, you know, we're well for the, and my proper Navy blazer and had the, my tailor put the patch on and she used to give me zeros on my dress code. And I never understood <laughs> how I could get a zero if my dress code was of a finer material than the cheap ass ones that NBC gave me. But anyway, sends me up there and I walk in. Okay. And I'll, I really try and keep this clean. And for those of you who, who are listening, who don't believe this is true, there's a famous book called Jackie O. It is the definitive biography about Jackie Onassis. Look in the photography section. You will see the great Carl Killingsworth, uh, oh. who was a, who was a uh, a a uh, escort for Jackie O at one point in her life. Okay, so that's who Carl was. And I walk in, and I'm like, "Hi, I'm here to answer the phones." And before I can go any further, this nice-looking man with a southern accent who talked like this said, "I'll keep it PG." who the hell are you? And I said, oh, my name is Robert Port. He goes, Rob Lowe? I said, no, Rob Port. He goes, God damn it, come with me. And that's how Carl talked. And by the way, I should say that Carl would have been canceled 57,000 times today. But back then he was so charming and so amazing he could get away with anything. And he said, I don't care if you're here to answer the goddamn phones. You're being assigned to me, Rob Lowe. Let's go. And we walked downstairs <laughs> And for those of you who who are and, and his dad was a tobacco farmer, he was from North Carolina, and he was a very clean cut, nice looking guy. And I said, Carl, I, I don't even know you like we're, we're taking me on a school trip already. Oh, just be quiet. You bleepity bleep bleep. And we went through the lobby of 30 Rock. Now, remember, all that was there at this time was the, was what's now, you know, the ice skating rink or the or the restaurant. There was no news down there. There was just all crappy restaurants that were left over from the 30s. And there was something called Pearl's Chinese Restaurant. It was a tiny little Chinese restaurant. And we walked in and uh, we walked in and I go, he goes, we're going to have lunch. And I said, are you I go, just be quiet. And he walks in and he starts handing out NBC pens to all the waiters. And he's going, hello, Chinaman. Hello, Chinaman. They're all going, oh, Carl, 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 Carl. 
and we sit down. He goes, what do you drink? And I said, uh, Coke. He goes, no, what do you drink? I said, scotch. He goes, me too. And we had three scotches. And uh, anyway, I could talk for the rest of the year about Carl, but he became like, uh, I became like the son he never had or wanted. And ended up, we lived four blocks from one another on the Upper West Side. And um, I got very close to Carl. And and there's, there's just an incredibly non-PG story. I probably can't tell, that, but Carl's the reason I got hired. He created a position for me. And then that in turn allowed me to pick who the next page would be that would get that, that would get that assignment. Which might be me. I don't know. Uh, the me? very first person after, me, after me was you. Correct. That is I right. Was. So again, I, 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 uh, and I'm still doing your laundry. Do I have to stop doing your laundry at some point? Uh, it's, it's you know what? Time. When you, when you learn how to, when you learn how to get the starch ratio correct, Dave, you can stop right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what, buddy. I don't know. I've been doing it ever since. Starch. Holy so, smoke. Cut so let myself. me go, we're going to go back because I, I want to sort of unpack this. So Carl, now, first of all, it's so funny because I'm smiling just as you're telling me the story about Carl, yes. because so again, for the listeners, you know, um, th there was a there was a department at WNBC at the time it was called local advertising and promotion or the local A&P. <laughs> right. So that's what it was originally. Th then they changed it to creative services after Judy Gerard uh, became president. So yeah. Rob, as he just described, got, you know, somehow, you know, he got the, he got a phone call, went upstairs and Rob, for those, if you have, if you can't tell already, uh, very is very, yeah, very shy and not willing just to do whatever the hell he wants to do. He just, <laughs> you know, it's a big problem. I, I try to tell him to break out of his shell. So Carl goes up, meets this guy, Carl, Carl Killingsworth. Now Carl had been at WNBC or W at NBC since like radio right I mean, since the he, beginning of time carl had been right. literally since he and don pardo right so he was so carl literally was a living legend Correct. and and he again he started in um uh i think you know doing all the different roles somehow he wound up in local advertising and promotion but then later he switched to press and publicity which well, that, you're gonna get way ahead well, of yourself. So, right, well, we'll, so we'll get Carl, that. Yeah, yeah. He, he, you're getting way ahead of yourself. Yeah. So Carl was there, and he'd been in this job for a thousand years, and their job was to do these local promos, which were mediocre. Now, at the exact time that I walked in there, there was a wonderful woman named Linda, Linda Lippman who was running the department, and so they there was an, an ad agency that I probably shouldn't name. They were called Lord Einstein and O'Neill, and they were paying them an enormous amount of money. And this agency would do all the really cool spots like, you know, Chuck Scarborough goes in a submarine for sweeps or, you know, David Diaz, David and his wife, Ginny, I love, they used to call them mom and dad, great people. Or, you know, David Diaz goes undercover, you know, what's it like to be an alligator in the Central Park Zoo? And they would do these super expensive spots. Somebody uh, decided that they were going to fire them and that the people in A&P actually had to start working. Well, this terrified Carl because Carl, you know, was used to working about three hours a day and two hours were spent at Pearl's. So he said, <laughs> God damn, Rob Lowe, what do you know about filmmaking? I said, I, I lied. I said, I know everything about filmmaking. He goes, let's go. And that's how I started directing the sing-along. And that's how I started because Carl didn't want to work. And so I would go out and write these spots and write these commercials. And I'd hire a 16 millimeter film crew. And that's how I got to know John Miller and Chuck Scarborough and, so, and everyone. So all that work that Carl should have been doing, I was doing. And Carl loved it because he would sit in his office and, you know, he loved doing the crossword puzzle. And then he would, you know, it was a it was a wonderful arrangement. And then at night we would kind of, you know, pour ourselves onto the subway and take it up Central Park West and, and go home. So it was a it was a wonderful. <laughs> so, so, so what happened was I, I needed. Well, go ahead. 
No, go on. What we gonna finish your sentence? So what happened is I was allowed to be up there for two weeks because the page program had this thing where it was seniority and it wasn't an assignment. And so I said to Carl, Carl, you can only keep me for two weeks. He's like, God damn, I'm keeping you forever. So he created this assignment. And then what happened is that Janice and who is the gentleman, really sweet guy who was like her number two? Well, you had, well, I mean, you had Chris Sulger who was there. Chris. Yeah, Chris. Chris. Okay. And so they said, okay, but you can't have Rob because he's number 65 on that list. You got to choose uh -huh. from the top people. So Carl found that out and he marched down and he literally threw a fit and he started pounding on Chris's desk, screaming, I goddamn want Rob Lowe. And, and, She's going, Rob Lowe, what the hell is this guy? <laughs> and so they just, Carl knew enough people and that was it. And then I never, but they got their revenge on me. They used to make me do the 7 a.m. Sunday morning uh, tours, which was just brutal, dude. Yeah, which will, okay, so we'll get to. So again, we're going to go back. So so you get this assignment. Yes. Uh, we're going to, we, we are going to talk about the sing-along, uh, which I which I teased at the uh, opening of the show. Yeah, we and, had Vicky Vale yeah, on. I heard that. Well, we're going to, yeah. Beautiful we're, Vicky Vale. Yeah, we're going to do all that. But with um, with with Carl, so yes. somehow, again, to your credit, you know, you created this position. I applied for it and I got an interview. You know, I guess I got an interview, whatever. But I, I got the assignment. You, you got know. the assignment because you think Carl gave a shit? He said to me, Rob, who do you want? I said, Dave Katz. He's a good guy. OK, God damn it. Dave is it. That's that was the process. Well, it's funny. So I remember when I the, I remember the first time that I saw him. So sort of talking what, what you said earlier, tell me. I, I was I, you know, used to put well, I still do. I put gel in my hair or mousse okay. it back or something. So, again, I show up at the office and I have my hair, you know, slicked back and I'm wearing my suit. The first thing he says, I go, hi, I'm David Katz. He looks at me. He goes he, in his southern, you know, it looks like it looks like you took your head and shoved it up with cow's ass. <laughs> and I go, OK, you know. And that was sort of, and that's about the cleanest, that's about the cleanest story we can tell of Carl. <laughs> but from that day forward, you know, he, I, I love the guy because he, like you, your recollection of him was my right. You know, it's like, that's him. And he was like, you know, I would always go and sit and, you know, he, yeah, he never wanted to work. You, I would just follow him around and he would, he you know, work. Yeah. He, he would yeah. just walk around yeah. to other departments doing whatever he wanted to do. And right. he also treated me really well. So, and it's funny. One of the cool things is is later. And again, I know we're we're jumping around, but he became in charge of press and publicity. Right. So when Bill Bolster took over as GM, what happened was uh, at that point, Linda Button was running uh, the department, and they realized that this business had long passed Carl. That, that to your point, what Carl was amazing at. And what Carl was amazing at was exactly that, just glad handing and people loved him and planning lunches. So Linda Button got the amazing idea of putting him into press and publicity. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a moment where, where the department moved up to the ninth floor, which was a huge mistake because then I had access to go out to Toscanini's gardens. And we always I was always out there hanging out. But that's when they moved Carl to press and publicity. And eventually he went on to CNBC and became a legend there. He became an absolute. Oh, he did go to CNBC? Yeah, oh, and MSNBC became a legend over there. Yeah. Okay. So, so with Carl, so b with the press and publicity gig, Carl had the keys, as I'm sure, you, to the closet full of all the WNBC <laughs> swag stuff. Um, so, so literally, there were times. So, I would go into Carl's office and I'd go, Carl, give me the key. And he'd throw me the key and I would go and load up on umbrellas and backpacks yep. and things. He had everything. 
And I would then, but, but again, just to, to sort of, you know, pass along the love, I would go to like the, the cleaning crew, the telephone people, the maintenance people. I'd be like, here's an umbrella for you. Here's one for you. You know, and I would pass this stuff out. And those things at the time were literally like crack because. Oh, they were gold, man. They yeah. were they were gold. People loved them. Yeah. People you couldn't get one unless you knew someone. Yeah. And, you know, people worked there 30 years. They, they never got an umbrella. Yeah. So I would walk around <laughs> like the, you know, like the, you know, Wonka yeah. handing out these gifts. But but that was Carl. So I I just love he was so nice and he was and he, he knew and, everyone though like like Jaja Kapoor called oh my one God. day and Jaja called and then you know he, he and he admitted to me that that at the time um he did know Jackie Onassis and he did escort her you know you can read between the lines but at that point in in, in her life because I I kind of had to vet that because I saw that photo and it it really was like I how could this be true and so yeah he he really knew her he had met her at a party. And at that point in her life, apparently she she was looking for men who would escort her to events and not necessarily look to take um, uh, advantage advantage of her. So you can read between right. the lines and figure that one out on your own. And there's a great picture. Um, I have a picture of Carl right here. I always have. And oh there's a great God. picture of, of, of this one I don't have, of the two of them at Lincoln Center. Um, I love Carl. Last quick Carl story. You mentioned Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin was in Hunt for Red, Red October. He's hosting SNL for the very first time ever. Was and that Carl's, in 92? It was 92. It, was, it wasn't that. It Was it before there or after? Or, I don't know. It could have been okay. 91, 92. Okay. And I come into the office and Carl goes, this is before we hit Pearls for our noon drink. He goes, uh, let's go, Rob Lowe. I said, we stop calling me Rob Lowe. She only look, my wife only wishes I look like Rob Lowe. Says, uh, let's, get, let's go see Alec Baldwin. God damn it. I said, well, how do you know Alec? And he said, oh, he used to be on this show called The Doctors. It was a soap opera on uh, on NBC. Yeah. So we walked down to SNL. You talked about the hallway there on, uh, what was that, six or seven, the long hallway? Uh, for SNL on, on eight. On eight. No, eight was upstairs. Or, it was the one downstairs for, where all the dressing rooms were. For, for what? what, on what SNL. Was? There was, eight was upstairs, but then it was the long hallway where all the dressing rooms were. Like, if you want no, to that's walk, on eight. Yeah, it's, it's, that's it's on eight. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, Again, so that's on eight. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. And and there's this like security guard because Alec Baldwin was pretty big at that time already. And there was a real security guard. And he's like, can I help you? And Carl's like, well, I want to see Mr. Baldwin. And the guy's <laughs> like, but you can't. And he's like, but I can. I know him. And the guy's like, well, you don't. And he's like, God damn it. I know him. He's, so there's this sort of standoff. And I'm like, Carl, let's just go. And he's like, no, God damn it. And he says, well, can I write him a note? And he goes, OK. And remember, we used to have those little pink memo pads you had to leave yeah. someone oh yeah oh yeah yes yes so, so carl rips it off and he he writes he writes like god damn it i want to see you and that's it and he slips it under the door and like a second later the door opens and here walks out walks alec baldwin and is you know super handsome young guy and uh and i was like holy shit and he gives carl this big warm embrace and hello and carl of course introduces me to him again is Rob Lowe and Alex sort of looks at him like what? And, uh, <laughs> you know, we hung out with Alec Baldwin in his dress room for a while. And that was just, that was Carl. He knew everybody. Well, it's funny. We, do you remember there was a, there was a, um, there was a restaurant down from 30 rock. I think it was like, it was either Harold's or there was like, it was like a one name restaurant. It was a steakhouse or some, I forget. It was, it was a place that they would, God, I can't on remember. On Avenue America, it was or it on? was on this. It was on like probably Forty Eighth Street or something. Okay. You know, it, okay. it was a. It was. I forget. I'm, I'll figure it out. But it was a restaurant that Carl also would go to often, 
And again, there was some party, I don't know what it was, and he invited me to go for what you know. And sure. again, I th- I think it was like um it was like Lucille, it was actually like Lucille Ball's door uh was it um it was what is it her daughter? I, I forget who Arnez? Yeah, Arnez, yeah. Like I guess she was there. There was a ton of talent that was there. Like, oh, these- David, you were there. I'm, you ready? I know. God, I can't remember anything. I remember this. So here's what it was. Carl got put in charge and you were working. So so correct. So we had hired you. At that point, they had hired me freelance. So I was out of the page program. And then I had in turn, you know, Carl had hired you to, to, to oh, take okay. me to spot. And you ready for what it was? Radio City, they did a night of a thousand stars. Oh. And Carl had a party there. And so it was all these like Octocarians, uh, uh, like the uh, Lucille Ball and uh, um, um, like, uh, oh, my God, uh, Rue McCallahan and all those. It was just filled with, yeah, yeah. Correct. And they all were filled with it. And Carl ran the the party, if you will, for for that. You're absolutely, wow, you have a good memory. That's absolutely well, right. Well, I just, I remember him just, again, walking. He was like, David, this is, this is, you know, Rue McClanahan. You know, That's I'm right. like, hey, nice to meet yep. you. I remember, you know, he, he would just introduce me. And it was just so funny because, again, he he was such a character and he would yeah. just and again, he, he knew amazing. he knew everyone. And, and if you didn't know him, he would he would just introduce them. You know, he he would just he was amazing. Him. No, he was uh, he was great. He was yeah, but he used to whatever, have lunch with me and my mom. And yeah, I love Carl. He was terrific. And uh, and and then the the I would, like I said, so he lived up on 91st and Central Park West and I lived on 89th and Broadway. And it was the weirdest thing. I cannot tell you how many times uh, four or five in the morning I would be sort of stumbling home and I'd either be walking up Broadway or driving up in a cab and I would see him just walking home and we would uh, I'd say, Carl and Rob Lowe and you're like my goddamn son I never had. And then we, we come on, let's go have another drink. And we he'd sit there and tell me about his life. And uh, wow. he was a, a really just terrific, terrific, terrific. I, I, I love Carl and. Yeah, I would definitely not be anywhere without him. Wow. So, and it's again, I, I thought about him and I, I just, he's one of those people. And it's true. I think probably with you, and then, you know, he certainly wasn't as close with me, but no, no, he, he, but he certainly had a lot of fun. We, you know, but I think in his life, he probably, you know, if, if he, when he thought back, he said he remembered the time with you, with me. And, and it was, hey, we fun, were the kids he know. was never going to have, right? He was, he was never going to get married and he, he, um, you know, I, 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 I can say this with complete fondness and love. He was he was never going to really sort of let on to what his, you know, his his life was. And he looked at us as as we were the kids he he was never going right. to have. And he, right, he right. loved us. He loved he loved that we were there and he loved that, uh, you know, that we were all around him and that um, he could pass on the stuff that he, he was very smart. He was good at what he did. That yeah. he could he could he pass on the sing along to me and that that he could, you know, he could pass on certain things. He loved you. And, you know, and I think that we we actually in hindsight, you know, now that I'm an adult and I understand the world a lot better, you know, it it, it probably wasn't super easy in, in, in a time that he grew up, right. um, you know, to sort of live a, a certain lifestyle. And so I think that we all served a really equally important part in his life, I'd like to think, because he, he definitely adored all of us. And. And like I said, I, I love the man. I love, I absolutely love them. Yeah. And and again, he just, just as a, it was always nice because, um, and we, you know, uh, Randy Pyburn, who, who ran the creative <laughs> services, we could, we could touch on him, but I think every time Randy would drive me up a wall, 
I would go into Carl's office and and you know say I'm gonna fucking strangle this guy. You know, yeah. part of my, my language. But these are, um, these, these are great. Uh, listen. So you well, know, well, let's I hope talk. Randy's doing well. That's a whole different story. But I'll I'll, I'll share a really funny story with you off camera. Yeah. Okay. So let's and again in no particular order, and hopefully the uh, listeners are are, are haven't hung forward. themselves. By yeah. Now, yeah. So let's talk. You were the Pied Piper. Oh. So basically, of the sing along, you were the king oh of the sing along, yes. and anyone that's from New York or a WNBC employee or maybe even someone in the building. Everybody waits for that WNBC sing along to happen on the ice, and everyone gets there. You know, two do seconds. They still do it. Time. I think they do. I, I, I'm not sure to be honest with you. Um, I would assume they do. I saw Channel Seven did the talent in the studio where they're handing out gifts and stuff. Oh, and I looked at it, and I'm like, funny, I'm like, that's, that's our sing along. <laughs> you know, I said it was, no, it was no. kind of funny. Yeah. So explain to so tell everyone what the sing along is, how you got it, what you did, what it was like. Wrangling all these yes, people. this is you right up there, crowded, right, right ahead of my kids being born and my dog. So Carl, every year, was in charge of the sing-along, and it was very simple. They would bring everyone down in Rises in front of the Christmas tree. Now, Vicki Stewart, who I always called Vicki Vale, because Vicki Vale was the character from Batman. And so I, at the time, Batman was a huge movie. So I used to, I love Vicki, and I used to call her Vicki Vale. That was my nickname for her. And so she was talking about it on your show. And one of you two said, we'd get stuff in the public domain. Absolutely not. In fact, I was responsible for NBC getting sued. We would get permission because believe it or not, a lot of those songs are not in the public domain. And we would get permission. We would record the soundtrack. We would put them up on these huge cue cards. And then everyone would come down talent in front and we would, we would film it. So the first year that I was working with Carl, Carl said, okay, listen. And, um, uh, his, nick, his other nickname for me, which was totally affectionate, um, it, it rhymed with canoe. So we'll just say canoe. He'd go, come here, you goddamn canoe. I'm going to teach you how to do the sing-along. And he would do it with these video cameras and this and that. And I said, Carl, let's let's make this a bigger deal. He goes, well, I'm going to teach it to you so you know how to do it. And then, and then I don't have to do this goddamn thing anymore because I'm so sick of it. So there were three key components. One, pick a song. Two, get the license for that song. And then you had to get a recording of that song that you could play over the PA that everyone could sing along to. All right. Three really simple, but very important things. And so the next year, uh, so I did, I did it the first year with Carl and, and Carl very quickly. I remember Biff Henderson, because I was such a letterman nut. Biff Henderson was our stage manager that was assigned to us. Oh. And I got to do this. I got to direct this. Completely. I wasn't in the DGA or anything. Carl was just drinking coffee, talking to whomever. <laughs> and I was running around with Biff Henderson, which was a blast, you know, directing this. We And I remember. And, and, yeah. And, and again, for the listeners, Biff was the stage manager for Letterman. I mean, you mentioned Famous. that, but he was he was on camera all the time. And, and we would time. see Biff all the time. Nicest guy. Always Nicest say hello. Guy. So Gentleman, cool. But terrific yeah, anyway. guy. Yeah. Go and on. it was we need a little Christmas. Right. We need a little Christmas right this very minute. Right. That was year one. Okay. So year two, Carl's like, oh, it's all up to you now. So I decided to do White Christmas, but somewhere in the in the translation, I never bothered to get the license from the Irving Berlin estate. So we went down and we did White Christmas and everyone was really psyched because, of course, that's a that's a wonderful, beautiful song. And Chuck Scarborough would come down and we got, you know, all the talent and people would I snuck a few of my friends in there and I'm down there directing it. And it was real, a real big deal. I actually felt that was probably the first thing I ever did that. And I remember saying at the time, like, let's get I shot it in 16 millimeters so it would look better. And we right. we got permission to shoot off the roof of Saks Fifth Avenue. Like made it made it's probably first my big, you know, making a big deal out of something. 
And then uh, we we did it, recorded it, went on air, and then I got called into the GM's office, which was a really bad thing to do because that never happened. Um, that the Irving Berlin estate was suing us because because we, meaning me, had not bothered to get the permission. Like I said, I got two out of those three things I was supposed to. And uh, uh, Brett Marcus was the news director at the time. Great guy. No idea what ever happened to him. And I remember somehow uh, he, he was defending me in all this, even though this had nothing to do with him. He was just being <laughs> a good guy, looking out for his fellow Jew. And he says uh, to, to the GM who's throwing a fit, you know, this is this is there's no bad press. Why don't you guys release a, a thing? And Carl said the same thing, like, screw Irving Berlin. Let's let's release something that, that that says, like, the Grinch who stole Christmas. And so um, they did. There was a little article that appeared in the Daily News that Carl had gotten planted, like, Irving Berlin steals Christmas about how they weren't going to let us do it. And then, you know, we paid them a thousand bucks. And luckily, I, you know, I, who knows, I, I could have been fired for that, but. But fortunately, I guess they they liked me enough that they didn't fire me. But that became a big deal. And then I, I don't know who took it over after I did it, but I used to really look forward to that. And um, I, I'll say that I <laughs> there were more dates made during that sing along. I remember because people used to come down and from all walks of life, I think half of them didn't even work at NBC and they'd want to be in it and we'd sneak them in. And I swear more people throughout that year than what I would see had become boyfriend or girlfriend because it was it was like a good happy fun two or three hours out there singing and and I, it's, I always remember thinking that we made at least seven or eight matches uh every every <laughs> Christmas doing that sing-along well it is and again for the listeners it you know uh the the you, you probably did a couple of versions like what a 30 second a one minute I don't know oh yeah yeah and then we would do cut downs absolutely you cut, yeah. so you know so so for those that see the video you know it looks like you just shot it you know but but the reality of it is, as you mentioned, you know, all the lyrics were on huge uh, cue, cards, cue cards, which were yep. across the ice so people could read it. Yep. And then you would and then if you were shooting it on film, you would do, a, you know, and the talent. So let's say you said Chuck, you know, Chuck wouldn't be standing out there for three hours. No, we'd get a 15 minute uh, window with him. Yeah. So you would set up a, a little window uh, for for specific talent. You're going to come in. You're going to stand here and then we're going to cut, you know, cut close to you. And right. of course, if you were a person standing next to Chuck, you would most likely make it on air because you'd use one of those takes. Absolutely. Um, you know, all true. Um, there so was is there any, yeah. there was a wonderful editor. He was the head of the, uh, so on the sixth floor there, we had our edit base and a great gentleman. He, he, he was a singer, he had a beautiful voice. He sang semi-professionally. I cannot think of his name. And I remember I would love to, I tried to feature those guys because they were always mm. so kind to me, um, mostly men. There were a couple of female editors, but they were mostly these these old timers who had transitioned from film to videotape. And they were just great guys. And they always were super kind to me. And I remember that was like one way I could pay back all the people that were nice to me is I would when I cut it, I would always stick in close ups of them. And and it amazed me. They would thank me and thank me. Like some would bring me cookies and oh my God, you made my mom's year, you made my grandmother's right. year, you made my sister's year. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it was, yeah, it was like like the one really nice thing that I felt like I could um I could I could do every year to try and pay back all the people who were who were super awesome. And yeah, and let's awesome talk about people. that because the um the uh edit bay um was uh or the ed the edit suites i they were i thought i think they're on seven because the the newsroom was on seven the edit the edit um ej like ej1 or, or whatever right. you know but you had bernie there was a guy remember bernie of course there, there was another guy and it was funny he would always call me 
I uh, got good looking guy, tall guy. He would always he called me Boy Wonder. Um, <laughs> I and now I can't remember his name, but he know Boy Wonder, Boy Wonder. That's great. And, but to your point, they were all so nice. They were, and so I remember, nice. you know, I remember probably, you know, when you were writing the topicals. Right. I'm sure I must have shadowed you yes. into those things, so I'd have yes, to like learn from you. As yes, you're watching, we had a lot of fun, you and I doing that. Yep. Yeah, you would go and you would talk to these guys, you're looking for footage. And I'm sort Roland of like, was one of the editors, great guy, uh, great guy, Mike Roland. Yeah. Oh, Mike. Of... I think it was Mike. It was, a, yeah, yeah, great it was Mike. guy. He was a terrific guy. Yep. It, it, was... Is it Boland or Roland? I think Boland. I thought it was Roland. Maybe it was Boland. Boland. I, Boland. Remember. I just remember Mike he was Boland. a total gentleman. Yep. That That's who I think that I got a great, but anyway, I got a great story about this when you're ready, but keep going. Yeah. No, so they were also nice. And, and I remember. I had I had um you know shadowed you and tried to learn and, and you know again it's all very overwhelming but you know we, you know there's so many people involved and you have to sort of yes. be polite and and I think a lot of the the you know the librarians who were who were um their job was to give you the the footage so here it is you know you have to make air and you got like 30 set you know you got like right. 10 minutes or 30 minutes to find that footage yep. so these are really the gatekeepers like you're either right. going to die or you're going to make air by <laughs> by these people because if you're That's not right. nice to them they're going to screw you. So 100% I correct. Yeah, I was always so I was really more grateful than anything. So all of those guys, I was always so grateful and I remember when I was going to be to get a full-time job for Chuck and Sue when I became their assistant uh -huh. um after the page program I remember just talking to them and maybe it was Mike or someone. And I remember them saying to me, they said, well, Dave, you're, you're really nice now, but if you get this job, you're going to be a, a prick like the rest of them, you know? <laughs> and I, I said to him, I said, listen, I promise you, I, yeah. that will not happen. And I remember getting the job and That's it was, great. it was a year or two later. And I remember going to the same people and I said, listen, have I changed at all? And they said, David, no, you're you've been. No, you're a guy. sweart. You, know, you always were so a great I, guy. People but, spoke very highly of you. Yeah. Well, I, 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 you know, again, I was so, so um, appreciative and they were so kind. And again, those are the guys that really made it happen. You know, all the behind the scenes guys, the 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 yep. news, the guys, at the desk, the reporters, um, they were Callahan in the newsroom. Callahan and I were just we we're just talking about yeah. Mike Callahan. Yep, we, John and I just saw John. We were just talking about Mike. Okay, Callahan. so you know, well, you mentioned John. We'll, we'll talk about it. So I got to tell you my quick edit story. Oh, so I'll go for it. The, okay. the late great Scott Babishak, who we both love dearly, and and so Scott was uh, probably right after you. Scott had the assignment, and Scott and I became very good friends. And eventually, after you left, and Scott got hired on in the department, you know, I'm jumping ahead a year or so. He and I became very close friends, and he actually ended up becoming part of my friend group. We played football on the weekends, mm -hmm. and he became best friends with my college roommate, Kirk Strawn, and they lived together. So I really, Scott and I were really, you know, and obviously he and Vicky were, were best friends. Right. But Scott, Scott was doing what you were doing. He was shadowing me. And uh, we were in the, I was teaching him how to do the, the topical stuff. And to your point, Dave, the way it worked is you had to make air. And sometimes it would be four, three minutes until you had to make, get this 30 second commercial downstairs where it would be loaded into one of these hundred machines and it would get sent up to the satellite and broadcast. Right. So it really came down to seconds. And what what, you're, what Dave's leaving out is that often the footage was just being shot. So if there was a subway flood, the footage would be coming in. Everyone would line up, wait by the library because they would have to put it in the library first and then everyone would fight to get it so they could put it in the promo or the news story or whatever they needed. They didn't really care about it, each other. So we were working with this editor, 
Scott and I, great, wonderful guy. His name is Vito. There were a couple of them. Oh, yeah, Vito. I remember him, too. Yeah, big Vito and little Vito. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we got probably five minutes to go to air. And we're like, Vito, like, edit faster, dude. Edit faster. Edit faster. And all of a sudden, he looks at his watch and he goes, oh, and I wish Scott was next to me now. Because whenever I would tell the story and do that, he would just start. I can picture Scott laughing now. He would go, he goes, oh. And he gets up and he, I never saw the man move so quick in his life. And, and Babshack, I just, we go, what the, holy, we're going we're gonna to miss air in two minutes. Like, you know, we look at each other like, now what? This had never happened. There was absolutely no protocol for this. And the guy comes running back a minute later and he, in his arms, he's got the largest chicken parm hero I've ever seen in my entire life. And he puts it down, he goes, okay. And we just lost it i mean man he and i just absolutely we couldn't stop laughing i think vito was getting pissed at us but we just we i mean we almost missed air for for a chicken parm hero so wow. i hope it was a good one it was a good sandwich at least wow and it's funny you mentioned so there was the was was the other vito uh skinny. like a sinatra little guy skinny yeah, guy, little yeah, guy, yeah, skinny yeah, guy yeah. nice yeah. he ran he ran the the, the, the he was one well, of the he, was another, he used to talk like this he'd be yeah. like big, big vito was a big guy had a mustache yeah. Really sweetheart, and then the other Vito was kind of always like, uh, you know, was kind of always pissed off, but nice guy too, you know. Yeah, he nice was, but he, and again, if you needed an edit room, he let me see what I could do for you. Okay, uh, they all were good. Room. He, Vito, you know. he was an edit. The, uh, they all were sweet guys. They all, every one of those guys was was really, really. They it tried to be tough, but they it's all. It's Yeah, there's, and again, they're 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 um they're absolutely amazing. I mean, it just yeah. I you know, and they uh, all had to make the transition from film to video, which you know, which for your people who are listening. You know, which now probably down to just like two people, your mom and mine, is the making the transition from editing to film to editing video for these guys. That's the idea of going from a physical thing, because they used to tell right. me, you know, film in your hand, cutting it to uh, these 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 fancy computers. It was it was a big deal. A lot of these guys, you know, I don't envy them. That that could not have been an easy transition. And I think a lot of these guys, you know, sort of it was a real hard thing for them to do. Right. Um, and while we're in the in the zone of that of that space. I remember I was cleaning the closet or something at local advertising and promotion <laughs> somewhere. I was cleaning something. I did a lot of cleaning. Yeah. That's another whole story. <laughs> but I remember I found some, a tape. Okay. Uh, it was a, it was, may have been a three quarter or one inch. I forget what it was. And I remember I took the tape and it, I, I was, maybe I was looking for something and I mm -hmm. went into the, the, that the room and I gave whoever was on duty and I said, could you pop this in just to see what it is? And again, okay. for the, for those listenings, you know, it was all unionized. You're not allowed to touch the oh. machines. You can't, oh my God. you can't even look at the machines, you know, was but, it ever? Yeah. Everything had to be done by a union person. So I couldn't just put it in the machine. You know, you had to give it to somebody. So I remember I gave it to him and he hits play and on all the monitors in that space. Yeah. All of a sudden, I, I think like a porno came up <laughs> and he literally, he, 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 I don't you talk about, he hit that button so quick. <laughs> handed it to me and 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 he was like I, you know check please and he walked away you know but it was oh i didn't know God, what was on it. Yeah. i didn't know what was on it he didn't know what was on it and i truly but but again and we don't you know as as you know um all of those feeds go all over the place oh so yeah, yeah we don't know where the hell they're going so he yeah. gave the tape i, I destroyed <laughs> it threw it out but it was pretty funny because we were like, funny. oops, you know, yeah. um, so I don't even know where, where that, you know, why. Th that's there. where my tape, I've been looking for that tape for 40 years. Yeah, exactly. Just send it uh, back to me, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the, uh, it's in the in, 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 uh, incinerator. Okay. So let's see. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. What other good things? Um, well, you mentioned 
on Sunday morning football, which, which again, <laughs> talking about feed. So this is great. So I quickly realized, cause we, we worked a lot of weekends at that time because we had taken over from the side agency. There was all of a sudden a lot of work to do. And so I quickly noticed on Sunday mornings when Carl, when I would go come in and Carl would meet me there about four hours later, that the one amazing thing was if you put on the TV set in your room, this is before direct TV folks and before YouTube NFL Sunday ticket, I just combined the two. You could get every single feed. So you could watch every single football game. And it was the coolest thing in the world because you could not do that anywhere because right. they recorded all the games, of course, all the separate feeds so they could have them for highlights. And NBC and CBS would both um, uh, were the two uh, big people to to broadcast. So this is before Fox got in the game. And they would both record all the games. And then this way they could do the highlights. And so I quickly was like, this is amazing. And I had a couple of friends who were absolute degenerate gamblers. And when they found out that uh, I could do this, they used to beg me. So we would we would come in uh, often without having slept. And there was a restaurant right downstairs. Uh, they, we, if you walked in from the Christmas tree to the right, it was a little like cafe, almost like a coffee. Oh, shop yeah. Type. yeah. 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 And we would load up on like mozzarella sticks and grilled cheese and we'd go up to the office. And then we would, they would sit there it's and like they the would- ever, It's like the Evergreen Cafe, I think. Yeah, was, nice or, or Green Trees or something. Green Trees, something like that, yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. And they would it's open up all now. the offices and they would turn on all the TVs and they would jump from, from room to room and they would be calling their bookies and it was hilarious. And they would watch wow. the games and place bets. And it was, it was really, it was fun. It was really super, super cool. And uh, eventually we got busted, but thank God the person we got busted by was Carl. And he, of course- <laughs> And he was like, and can I get in on the bet? Yeah, he's like, yeah, exactly. And can I have ten percent? And luckily, that went on. So I never did any betting myself. Seriously, I wasn't, but these guys did. So yeah. Well, it's funny because um, on you know um, the the Bob you mentioned Bob Costas, you know he would do his his show on three. I think it was three K, awesome. and then they did the NFL Live. Um, you know, uh, and again, OJ was, was, uh, would oh, yeah, I had run into OJ. Yeah. Yeah. OJ so, cool, man. yeah so I had that assignment as well. So he would come down the hallway and you'd be like, Hey, how's it going? And they would, you know, yeah, which is, which is so funny. Come on. If you're a guy, is anyone, you know, people love to look back, you know, in retrospect and say, Oh, no, man, if you were a guy, OJ Simpson, and before all that nonsense happened, right. Man, we always were like high five in the OJ. Who's OJ? And, yeah. and Costas was phenomenal. I, over the course of my life, have interviewed Bob a couple of times for different things. And um, and yeah, he's always super, super gracious and a great one of the great, great guys. Everyone knows that about Bob Costas. He's amazing. Yeah, he amazing, was awesome. Amazing so we'll talk about another thing. So now we'll say now you mentioned actually that you're a father, which <laughs> I didn't which I, I, am, I, 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 I haven't spoken to in so long. So so uh, so so you have two kids now. Three. Is that Three kids. Well, congratulations, and Thank which you. is insane because again, it's like I, I knew you. And how old are these kids? Uh, they are twenty-two, studying to be a commercial. About to be twenty-two, studying to be a commercial pilot. A nineteen-year-old who's up in Boston at Tufts University, and an eleven-year-old. And how about you, David? Are you? What's your situation? I have I have a cat, a girlfriend, and a turtle. Probably so, the way it should be. So, you so know, you see everything. You know, God has a plan for us all. So maybe give, exactly. give it a few more years, Dave, and then you can have a kid. You know? <laughs> it's never too late. Well, you know what it is. It's funny and it's weird because, as you know, and we'll we'll talk about some of your uh, fantastic credentials, which I mentioned oh, sort of at the, at the top of the show. Yeah. But it's just a weird thing because 
I don't know. Even even you know being in this business, and it's funny. Um, um, Rich Marino, which was an editor that I worked with at Channel Twelve, who 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 works at ABC, and this, he just put on Facebook like the top ten most stressful positions ever. Okay. And you know, video editor was one of them. Sure. Uh, a retail manager, which I did, was was like also <laughs> on the list. Um, and you know, you know, and I remember you know working in all these different places. You know, going on vacation, you know, you'd find you come back and see someone sitting at your desk. You know, yeah. it was not it, it was always very touch and go. And and yes. and it was always a problem. So, you know, and, and and even to this day, I'm doing like, you know, 50 different things. So having the family, even though it would be good, um, it just it seems that I'm still going 90 miles an hour. Sure. And I don't know if I have it. Like, I barely have enough time for myself, let alone. Do you want, do you want one of my kids? I could I'll take them. Sure, send them okay. over. I could it's so impressive. Help. I can't believe that you have three kids. At, at well, Dave, thing. I don't want to explain to you, but it's not that hard to do. However, <laughs> right, right. yeah, uh, raising them is an entirely different situation, but you're welcome to have one or two of them. Um, wow. Just not the dog. And I have a beautiful Siberian Husky. You know, before oh, we go right. further, I would yeah. be remiss. The best thing, the best thing that happened in my entire experience at NBC is that I met my future wife. So my, oh. my wife, Lisa, uh, was an intern in advertising and promotion way back before you were there and I, for a short time. And I, and I met her and I wow. literally asked her out the day I, I saw her right that minute I walked in, I asked her out. She said, no, I have a boyfriend, but I convinced her to have lunch with me. And like, you know, 20 years later, she finally went out with me. But the point is that's the best, that's the best thing that happened to me. Wow. And it's funny because I met, uh, a Lenny, which we've talked about a couple of, I don't yeah. know listening to this podcast, but, um, but it was sort of the same, you know, I saw her, I like, yeah, I we, I we probably would, you know, that's a whole other story and, and, and yeah. people know the story, but, but again, she was amazing. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I was, a, I was a pay, I think I was a producer at that point or working in, 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 in but I met her, you know. I've met her, Dave, I don't know where, but so you must've well, been, well, I was still around. Um, you met who, Lenny or, yeah. or, well, yeah, she was a page. She wound up being a page. Okay. Um, yeah, she was a page, and then she went on to do, you know, a million different things. And she, okay, because I definitely an actress met her. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, she was, she was, she. And again, if she's listening, and those that know, she was, she was, she was, she was big around the building. She was, she was awesome, and she's nicest, greatest person. But in any case, um, but yeah, but I could see it's interesting that when you, you know, you're in that space. And, you know, you see someone and, you know, who would think, you know, now, what, 30, 40 years later, how, how long have you known, you've known her, what, 30, at least 30, 40 years? Yeah, we'll see. Five years? I mean, we just so celebrated long. 25 years of marriage. So, oh, my that. God, I can't count. Now, that's either. funny. Did I did I ever meet her? Maybe I did meet her. Uh, probably. probably not. I don't think that anyone really. She was there a very short time. I don't think I, I probably kept her away from everyone. No, she she was there a very short time, just a couple of months as an intern. And um, and then we became friends and uh you know a couple of years later started dating seriously oh, that's awesome wow yes yeah, so, but yep absolutely no, that, that is amazing all because of nbc the power of nbc okay so speaking of you being a father yes there is somebody else that we all know and love which is mr maury povich yeah so tell us how so you and maury povich, so tell us this whole maury povich story like how did the hell did you you became president so, of his company is that correct so yeah so Mari povich is 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 you know amazingly you know other than my family the most important person in my life um 
he's you know just an incredible just the ultimate mensch um that that the kindest just most generous anyone who's ever been in his orbit knows that about him just an incredible human being bob cusbit for about a minute was running maury's company and so uh i had known maury scott and i did a commercial a promo for maury and donahue and so i know met him for a second and then bob was sort of transitioning uh out of that position and so he got me um he got me into it but, but before that i just don't want to make this too long Paramount Television at the time had 10 syndicated shows, The Maury Povich Show, Current Affair, Inside Edition, um, one of the Star Trek shows. And so they hired me. I was at Paramount for a while, and I was the creative director over it at, 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 in charge of Maury's show. So I would do everything I did at NBC, I did for Paramount, um, you know, for Maury. So I did his promos. That's how I initially got to know him. And he and I became very friendly and we had, and then the John Stewart show launched and I was in charge of that, the doing creative and Montel Williams. And so Maury and I used to talk about the fact that, um, I said, you know, Maury, you, we both realized this. Maury was always on top of him knowing that Paramount was ripping him off. And so we sort of had this conversation one day that if we could bring the promos in-house, if we could start our own company, we could make a lot of money. And so when he left and went to Universal, um, it's sort of conflated with me taking over his company was the right time. And so we essentially really launched his company proper um, at that point. He and Connie were going to do a show for DreamWorks that didn't turn out. He ended up doing a show for Universal and overnight, like quadrupled, uh, you know, what his salary was, et cetera, became a really big thing, well-deserved. And um, I was able to move out to California and we launched his, his company properly. He'd had a company, but we really launched it. Like we had a, a first look deal at Universal, um, we developed program pro projects for Universal, um, and we had a real company. You know, actually, like went on Universal a lot. There was Mopo Entertainment. It was so much fun, um, and and so that's how we started that. And at the same time, this this advertising agency that was doing his promos, um, that that Mark Feldstein, um, I had hired to do that. They 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 blew up. These 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 guys just did an incredible job. It later became Smash. I don't know what the latest iteration are, it's but these known, guys known known as the new known as it now. Known, so yeah, they've won yeah. like a billion Emmys and they've absolutely killed it. So those guys that became wildly successful, um, and they eventually went out on their own and and you know bought up Maury. And uh, but but for several years, uh, we we sort of first came on Universal and they kind of looked at us as like, oh, this will be another vanity company. But because of Maury and 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 him literally never saying no to me. Um, we were able to launch some real projects and do some real shows. And he and I became, remain incredibly close. He's always been absolutely like, you know, I'm not comparing myself to Michelangelo in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying back then people are patrons. He was always to this day, the guy who, who has always believed in me and supported me in right. any way, professionally or personally that he can and Connie too. And I just, I, I just love them both. They're just the most incredible people. Um, and Yeah. So that's how the quick version of how I got to know Maury. But then while I was at Universal, I did a show called The Rest in Trial for Dick Wolf. And then I did a documentary. That's the documentary Twin Towers. Again, that, you know, because of Maury, Maury funded it and, and that won an Oscar and, and so on and so on and so on. And so it's, it's all because it's directly because of Maury. Wow. And it is amazing. And again, um, we, I've touched on this before, before with, you know, just about relationships being mm -hmm. in the office you know everybody wants to work from home and all this other stuff 
and you know your relationship you know with 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 you know connecting with folks and and having real conversations and pitching ideas um it is amazing because you know here it is you're a young kid mm-hmm. and you had these ideas to to take someone who's well established but you but and 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 traditional thinking we like you're a young kid you don't know what you're doing sure. you don't know what you're doing but the fact that he was you know <clears throat> literally looked you know generationally you know, looks through the ge- generationally and says well he's an he's the up and coming thing you know sure. what could he bring to me that sure. will help me sort of escalate you know my next well, you know i think that's the one advantage i mean look i'm i'm 56 now and i'm basically aged out of this business sadly i think the one thing about i will say for all the negatives the one positive about the television film industry is that it's always been a young person's business i can say that now looking back at it that the the those in charge look towards the the youngest um, because they de- they generally have the freshest ideas, they have the newest ideas, they have a they have a new way of um, doing things, and I think that that's one good thing about about this business is it is it is always welcomed, right? Like let's just look at it as base level. It's probably the most serious conversation you and I have ever had in our life. <laughs> I mean, who's more likely to get hired, a twenty four year old beautiful actor or actress, or a fifty year old beautiful actor or actress, right? right. So right. the answer is a twenty four year old. I mean, so the business it, you you age out of this business very quickly. And those that are successful and 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 have managed to do phenomenally well, um, you know, by their own mission, they do well because they're smart enough to hire younger people with fresh ideas. And so, um, I think that's one great thing about this business is that it will always, um, it will always be a young person's game. And if you and and if you do have a great idea, and it's the best idea. You may not always win, but you're gonna you're gonna get a shot. You're gonna get an audience, and that's not true uh, in a lot in a lot of other businesses. So you know. Right. No, it's it really is amazing. And you mentioned, um, you know, you won you you have the Academy Award behind you anywhere? Is there is it is it in your space? <laughs> I don't. I don't it's uh, I, I mean, if you want to see, I'll be happy to show it to you. But it's it's actually hidden. It's uh, not trying to sound like false modesty. So I was the documentary I did was on a very good friend of mine, and his name is Joe Vigiano, and he was a super cop in the NYPD. And Joe had been shot twice in the line of duty. And um, most guys are shot once. They pack it up and retire. But Joe was never leaving that job. In fact, he left his hospital bed to ID the shooter. Um, And he died on 9-11. I was with him up until September 8th. I was filming a documentary on him because he was this incredible super cop. Um, And so I lost a a really good friend that day. And, and, you know, nearly 3,000 people died um, that day. And, and, well, since then, with the after after effects, um, more have died. I, it's not, it was a really weird, um, you know, I, you can talk to my psychiatrist about it more, but it's, it was sort of a weird thing. So I do have it and it's, it's, it's hidden. You want to be able to find it. But when people come over, I love when they ask to see it because I make them take a picture with it. And somewhere <laughs> right. I've, I've got pictures of like the cable guy to like, you know, whomever actors. Right. To, right. It's just really fun. That part of it, seeing this, the look on people's face, the smile when they, when they hold it is freaking awesome awesome that's my favorite 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 uh right. part of it it's seen, kind of it, right oh, it's kind of a funny thing right no but nobody you don't generally get to see them and or especially touch one and and again you know you know some i've discussed this before you know some people don't care and 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 but yeah. but, but for those in the industry you know who who spent right. their lives you know working in this field um, you know, it means a lot and it, it's something very special. And again, you never know, you know, it's funny. I don't know if any younger kids had, have ever seen it, you know, maybe your, your, your kids, kids, but they may yeah. see that 
and say, I want to own one of those one day. And they may become the next best film director, you know, because of that, you know. You know, I think, like I said, I think that it's it's um, for me. And and again, I don't want to go too far down this road. I was very close with Joe's Joe's parents. His father is no longer alive. His mom is. And um, I think that one thing that gave him solace. So one here's a great Maury story. When we were nominated for the Oscar, um, I wanted to fly out all the cops who had survived from Joe's unit and his oh. his widow and, and all these people and and the powers that be and certain folks at Universal refused to pay for it or throw a party or anything. And so Maury just wrote a blank check. I think it was about $100,000. Flew everyone out of business in first class, threw a huge party for everyone. And um, one of the things when, when Joe's parents were out here is I was able to show them the museum, the Academy Museum of Arts and Sciences. Now, granted, it's been redone. Um, and, it, it, you know, I haven't seen it, it the, the new iteration of it, but I showed him the old one and I said, you know, your son's film is going to is going to get chills. And says is going to be part of this long after we're all off this earth. It will be a permanent, permanent, permanent record. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, Mr. Vigiano, they, they both smiled. It, it really it really meant something to him. And so I think that that that's that and. And the idea that uh, to this day, I still get eighth grade seems to be the magic nut year. I get calls or texts or emails from eighth grade teachers teaching American history who ask if they can include the film as part of the curriculum Mm -hmm. to learn about 9-11. And I'm always, you know, super, super delighted to let them, um, you know, to do that and share it. And if I can talk about it and promote my buddy and those great men and women and all the heroes that day. So, no. and I'm, you know, I'm doing a follow-up to the film. So right now, the last three and a half years, um, I've been doing a follow-up because both of Joe's children are now in the NYPD. So I've been following through oh. the Academy. His third son uh, is in, in the Marine Corps. So it's a great film. Lionsgate has graciously picked it up for distribution. And I'm I'm very close to finishing the film as we speak. So Oh, that's awesome. So so the kids were the, um, hit, well... So they, Joe had three children, had three children, and they Joey, Jimmy, they? and John that were nine, seven, and three months old at the time, oh, and wow. at nine eleven, and now the older two are in the NYPD, and the third one uh, is in the Marine Corps. The older two went through the Marine Corps at all, and they're just the Vigiano family. They're, they're incredible. All the boys are incredible, and they're just absolute standouts in their various wow. fields. So, for, so because of John Miller, I got permission. Um, the NYPD gave me this incredible access, and I've been doing a three and a half year documentary following these. Uh, following driving these guys crazy been there with cameras and everything filming so we're almost done well that's very exciting so we'll certainly all look for that yeah when it comes out hopefully that's amazing and you mentioned uh again someone that i have fond memories memories of and i get a kick and i'm just going to read his his um he was the deputy commissioner of intelligence and counterterrorism for the nypd and before that the fbi and abc news probably a bunch of other things i remember him walking around with a gun uh in his in his yeah. i think in his sock or something in his in his, in his on his leg so we're yeah. talking about john miller who um who i know from wnbc i know karen scott remember karen scott the producer yes. for, yeah of course i know sure. they they loved each other so she yeah. she always put him on the air and he would always come into the yeah. newsroom and you know he was always this young you know like a uh, dapper oh uh, handsome they wore armani suits everyone loved <laughs> yeah he was it was amazing. john's friend so tell us uh, yeah, tell us your relationship with him and and all that other fun stuff. Uh, and the Zodiac so John was the coolest guy. Yeah, John was the coolest guy. He wore, you know, John would stroll in at 11 a.m. He wore a Burberry trench coat. He smoked great Cuban cigars. He had Armani suits on. He's a good looking guy. And everyone wanted to be John's friend. He was the coolest reporter in New York. And so at that time, um, as part of advertising and promotion, 
we would uh, do image campaigns on the individual reporters. So John and I, as it turned out, who knew? He lived on 84th Street on the south side, and I lived on 84th on the north side. And we could, if we were on balconies, we could talk to each other. Oh my so God. he would occasionally give me a ride home, and, and we sort of knew some people in common, and, um, you know, tangentially. And then um, I, I ran into him a couple of times at Elaine's with a with a mutual friend, the great Robert Tucker. And so we became friendly and would cross paths in the Hamptons. And um, but mostly because uh, the powers that be at advertising promotion were like, hey, you John likes you and, you know, go hang out with him, go do a promo on him, go do this. And so we became friendly and, you know, had some shenanigans together. But, uh, I, you know, one of the thousand great memories I have with John is that uh, they would assign me when there were when there were big stories like John was the only one that would be able to get exclusive interviews with John Gotti. And for those of you who don't know John Gotti, look him up. So John <laughs> Gotti was the most powerful uh, member of the organized crime and, and the Dapper Don was on the cover of GQ and a really unique individual. There had never been anyone in organized crime quite like John Gotti. And so uh, John would go to the Ravenite Social Club and get these exclusive interviews with Gotti. And, you know, if there was a big... John had a ridiculous resources in the NYPD. If there was a big murder, they would call John first. And so they would, I would tag along with John a lot because then I would film John and be able to get through these great promos and whatnot. So, I mean, my God, there's so many John Miller stories that I told recently at a dinner when he was still deputy commissioner of terrorism to a bunch of his cohorts and they were laughing so hard. Um, so this is one of them. So John, um, we went out looking for there was a rumor that the zodiac killer was still alive and he was gonna strike and so uh john said i'm gonna drive around all night and just answer he had a police scanner we're gonna roll to calls and maybe we'll get lucky and maybe we'll be there when they catch the zodiac killer <laughs> so i said i'm in and the uh, head advertising promotion was like sure that sounds cool bring a crew and you'll get we'll get a great commercial out of it so i rode with john all night we didn't catch the zodiac killer but we did end up at a um at a jeweler shop at a bar <laughs> it happened that got broken into and the, ent the entire window was shattered oh it was, it was just absolute craziness and uh and in another time when john Gotti was on uh trial uh for, there was a period of time where they would john Gotti would be on trial and then he would his he, he would be found not guilty and they'd put him right again on trial and the federal courthouses were out in brooklyn and i was with john and and they were we were he was covering it same thing i was filming him and all of a sudden, like five or six buses, I don't mean like yellow school buses, I mean like Greyhound buses pull up. And there's a phalanx of NYPD police officers guarding the courtroom. And John goes, uh-oh. And he looks at me and he goes, find the tree to climb. Now, you know, I'm a Jewish kid from Scarsdale. No one's ever said that. <laughs> They've said duck, run, <laughs> right, right. you know. Uh, uh, you, you know, don't forget to, 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 you know, put on your socks, climb a tree. Well, what had happened is a certain quantity of people had been imported from one of the boroughs to start a riot. So oh. about 300 people come pouring out of the bus buses and the cops come pouring off the, 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 the steps. And when I say there's a melee, you know, there's no iPhones, right? I have all great right. photos and footage of this shit, but there's a, there's a riot, like, clubs hitting skulls the whole nine oh yards God. and john saying to me climb a tree and so john and i climb this tree together there's a tree really? that grows in brooklyn outside this federal courthouse 
and he and I climbed the tree and uh, it wasn't very high, but it was enough that we were above the melee. And I, and I, God, that is a great memory of John and I being up on this tree, just looking out over this swarm, this absolute riot of John Gotti supporters and NYPD cops that are, you know, tussling and, and just hanging out on that tree with John. So yeah. Anyway, John, I've fortunately remained very friendly to this day and, and he, uh, he's the one who would give me the access, uh, uh, when he was DCPI to do this current film. So, uh, yeah. And then John came out to LA with Bill Bratton and I did some work for him out here. I, you know, brought us, I would help them out and I'd see him. Yeah. John's amazing. Of course, he's now a big reporter on CNN and, uh, you know, just, yeah, terrific, wonderful guy. It's funny. He showed up, uh, WNBC had a, uh, a, like a reunion and right before COVID and mm-hmm. John showed up, it was at, uh, Hurley, uh, Hurley's. Yeah. Hurley's, yeah, Hurley's. The, where they moved. So it was so funny because, you know, the place is packed. He shows up and I, and I said, and I, I said to him, I say, right. Cause I'm staying, you know, I said to him, I said, right now I'm probably in the safest place in Manhattan by standing next to you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> was he working for the NYPD at the time? He was. Yeah. Yeah. Was. yeah. So John yeah. was, John was DCPI. So there's, there's the police commissioner and then there's about five deputy police commissioners underneath him. So it'd be like one deputy police commissioner in charge of terrorism. be one deputy police commissioner in charge of information. Only John Miller, towards the end of his tenure there, he was Deputy Police Commissioner for Terrorism, Intelligence, and uh, Information, which is unheard of that one person would hold all those titles. So the guys made him up a special badge, like, I can't remember, he has it with all these, like, because each badge has a star, he had like six stars on it, that was a a joke gift. But yeah, John John is is a legend, yep. And he's a big part of this documentary. Because as you know, John interviewed Osama bin Laden uh, a few years before 9-11, he's the last western journalist probably the last western human being to see bin laden face to face he 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 risked life and limb and he got this incredible interview if you've never seen it go on youtube and watch it because bin laden completely lays out you know everything that would happen in the next 15 years uh to oh, john wow. in, this, in this unbelievable interview yeah so yeah it was amazing john I, and, and again me as a 20 year old kid watching yep. him i'm like i'm like he's doing all the, he's covering all these you know um crime families and this I'm like, and ha- you know, it just seemed weird to me. I'm like, is he going to wind up, you know, in the river? Is he, you know, like it, it just seemed very strange. You know, I, I used to talk to him about that. And I think it's, 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 I asked him that and he said, you know, John was very cool. First of all, John would never hold the microphone when he would talk to God. He always, someone else always had a, a boom mic and John got to know these guys and uh, and it was a two way street. They were smart. They knew that if they wanted to say something, um, you know, John would, wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily tell i'm not saying that john would tell them uh, what they wanted to hear but 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 there's, you know again there's no bad press right, it, it, right, it, right. It, it's good john was super is the most um charismatic pragmatic person i've ever met he knows how to work with people and how to get the best out of people and i think that it's no different i think that he needed a good story and they know they needed their story to be told and john you know woody allen i mean this is this is a true story when all that nonsense I don't mean nonsense in that I I favor one side or the other, but when all that stuff went down with Woody Allen and and huge amount of trouble that that he got in, not pretending I know what's true or what isn't, he absolutely you know he's always been a recluse. He would never do an interview. He wouldn't promote his own films. Uh, he did one interview, and John was the one who got it, and that's because of Elaine, because Woody wow. used to always hang out uh, at Elaine's, and you know Elaine said, "Hey, you can trust this guy. You know John's going to give you a straight story. Right. You may not like what he says, but he's going to be fair about it." And and John right. always is to this day he's a tremendous reporter he's very fair he's very honest and i think he he speaks the truth you know and uh so yeah no it's awesome and it's funny um 
totally, I guess, do you remember Julian Phillips? Do you remember yeah. Julian Phillips? So Julian went on to take the deputy commissioner, I guess, of information. I think. Yeah, I just saw him. Yeah, I just saw okay. him. They, the day he started, I ran to him. Okay. So he's, then he's gone and, though. He's been he's been replacing. Yeah, he he left, but and then I spoke to him because and I'll, I'll give him a little plug. He's trying, he produced a show called Eat and Argue, where yeah. he sits in a steakhouse with two opposite people. They have dinner, you know, he's the moderator and they argue back yeah. and forth. The show airs, I believe, on PBS. He's trying to get, you know, additional uh, episodes produced. Um, yeah, he's but, but that's, yeah, so he was such a nice guy. But I remember him also ro ro roaming around the newsroom. Always just such a oh, nice Julian guy. Oh, Julian was amazing. You know? he was, in, the middle, in the three and a half years that I've done this, we've gone through three police commissioners and, and three or four DCPIs, which is the Deputy Commissioner of Public Information. So one time I went up there and all the detectives were like, hey, you got to meet the new DCPI, you know, just hang out here. And all of a sudden I see a new DCPI walk in. And I'm like, is that the guy? And they're like, right. yeah, why? I go, Julian. And he looks at me and he goes, Rob Court. And <laughs> right. everyone in, 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 up there in the police headquarters go, what the? You know, and we get, get in here and we're laughing. Yeah, absolutely. Again, one of the nicest, nicest total gentlemen. Love Julian. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, New DCPI is fantastic. Tariq, he's they, they all they all have their good people up there in the NYPD. But anyway, yeah. Wow. God bless them all. And again, personally, you know, uh, I these guys are, you know, I mean, you know, people say, it all, but they're the real heroes. I see what's going on in New York City and, yeah. you know, they need our support. And, uh, you know, I don't think we give them a support. They they, they basically their hands are tied. And it's embarrassing. And yeah, I, you know, well, I, listen, I you, you don't want to hear me start talking about that. I right. did 10 years as a reserve in the sheriff's department. And these are all my best friends. I've spent three and a half years going out with these guys. And, and, and I think that if, if anyone, my, I would just simply say that, you know, don't judge anyone till you've walked in their shoes. So if you want to spend a minute, yeah. If you want to spend a minute, my beautiful wife is walking by. We're not, Oh, she's like, Oh, talking. you can't, you can I'm see beautiful wife. Yeah, it's my beautiful wife. I just oh I to talk all about Hi. you. I said you're the I said you were the best part of NBC, other than the yeah. mozzarella sticks. She's like, I gotta go so, do something. Um, if you see what these guys go through and gals, a lot of them are women. Um, you you know, it's 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 a joke, and you know, it's an absolute joke of 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 they're they're fighting with one hand tied behind their back, and um, you know, not to go off on a whole tangent now, but you look around this country, specifically with the New York City Police Department, you look in Los Angeles. I've had the good fortune of knowing several of the sheriffs and the police commissioners and the chiefs, and um, they they all have massive recruiting problems. In fact, one of the things that I do gratis, I'm I'm proud to do, is make training and recruitment tapes for these police departments oh, wow. because they can't they can't get cops. You can't. Who wants to do this? job today so right. to your point dave they, they no one wants to do the job anymore so um yeah so you, you reap what you sow that's all i'll say wow well god bless them so okay so now we'll, we'll we'll wrap up a couple of things we'll we'll talk about we'll we'll uh flip to mr matt lauer which which i guess I love is the other spectrum. yeah i'm not gonna right. ever say a bad word about right me. um and i'll i'll give you my thoughts so tell us let, let's say we both knew him um and i've told the which I'm sure you probably know the Bill Bolster phone call story of how he got the uh, today in New York story. So yeah. I personally knew, obviously we knew him before he was always a perfect gentleman to me, always mm -hmm. gave us the time of day was so nice. You know uh, I was so proud of his, you know, rise to yeah. stardom, you know, it was amazing because he, 
he you know he was at nine broadcast plaza um in, sure. in uh, jersey and then he got the today new york, new york show so you could just talk about a little, we'll, we'll 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 keep this you know uh hey, listen, whatever but I, you, you'll I, give I, us your, I, your Matt I would never, i'll say this look because i don't want you to get canceled i i have no idea what people do when they're not with me i don't i can only judge people on how they how they you know treat me i would right. never question what anybody else says so let me be clear about that all i'm saying right. about matt was it was a period of my life Matt was great to me. We used to go out. We used to, you know, have some drinks. I can't remember if we played around the golf. We used to always talk about playing around the golf. And Matt was uh, was great. He was good people. I have no idea what else went on in his life. I can only tell you that my experience with him was was one filled with a lot of laughs and a lot of good times. And as Matt blew up and became, you know, the biggest thing on morning TV, and he lived out in the Hamptons, Every time my parents would see him out at Candy Kitchen in Bridgehampton, for those of you who know that or wherever, and my mom would always go up to him and, you know, of course, see, he was always so gracious and always say, tell Rob to call me. I want to play golf. I want to play golf. Matt was a great golfer, is a great golfer. And yeah. so, you know, I just, it's just one of those people, you know, when I met him, he was, he, he was, like you said, he just was starting it today in New York. He's just coming over from the Plaza Nine, as you mentioned. And it's incredible how many uh, huge, huge careers start at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or midnight in that 30 Rockefeller um, plaza, not just in our lifetime, Dave, but I mean, you know, you go back and you look at the Jack Pars and the Johnny Carsons and, you know, these people, David Letterman, these people all had shows before the show, if you will. Right. Um, and a lot of them were took place in that very building. So that's why I love, you know, the show you're doing, because there's, we talked about Bill Wendell at the beginning. I mean, Which I I'm, trying, I'm so excited that you I never heard that before. So and, and I, I, yeah. you know, Bill gave he, you a huge compliment. He was important yeah. to me. You know, he was an important person. Yeah. So the fact that he knows my name. You he know. 100 percent did. And he and like I said, he should be very flattered. And and again, just. You look at Ernie Kovacs, right? Like, look at the Ernie Kovacs show. Most people these days don't know. Yeah, they've heard of Jack Benny. Look at Ernie Kovacs. Look how important he is in the in the in the sort of echelon of television and comedy. Um, and you know, Bill was on that show. You can still see clips of him. That took right right there in Theory Rock. That show was filmed. You know, there, there's no Saturday Night Live without the Ernie Kovacs show. There's no right. Ernie Kovacs show without the Jack Benny show. You know, and and, right. and and it's just incredible when you sort of just look at. You know where television began. I mean, I know Jack was CBS, but still, it's amazing. Okay, so um, let's talk about the uh, sec NBC security. Yeah, what's up with the with this? I remember. Do you remember Pat, um, who was a security guard? Um, uh, she was. She was. Oh, just, you want? You talking about the guard downstairs? Yeah, you. Vietnam you said you. You told me the I, Vietnam I, stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, so two things. There was a great young guy named Dougie Doug. Do you remember Doug who went on to? I have, do. Have, yes. Yeah. So yes. Doug had a huge career. Doug was Doug was cool. And Doug and I used to do. Um, he used to practice his. Because I'm Jewish, you're Jewish. He used to practice his. And a great guy he used to practice his Sammy Davis uh, imitation. <laughs> uh, we, we, we would sort of do it to do it to each other. He was far more talented and far funnier than me. But we used to like sort of do Sammy doing like Yiddish words to each other, like. Hey, dog, you're giving me knockers, babe. I love you, you know? And we would do this back and forth to each other. Great, super sweet guy. But there was another gentleman whose name I cannot, I could picture him perfectly. Very handsome, really, really, really great guy. And um, he had been in the Vietnam War. And he was a very serious individual. I wish I could remember his name because he was a total gentleman. And I used to, because uh, you didn't mention this about Saturday Night Live. The best part about Saturday Night Live for me was that when the show tape there was a rehearsal show that went on first and then dress rehearsal then there was a real show 
And the way you got in was you had a lineup and one side of the building down in the lobby where people had tickets. And the other side was called standby. And they would probably let anywhere from 50 to 150 people stand by to fill the seats. So I was always stuck on the standby. It was the worst. Every page had to work <laughs> because the show was so huge. The worst thing was the standby line. And that's where, again, I was not well liked. That's where they would assign me because everyone on that standby line was shit face drunk. And, you know, they would come at 1130 at night. Madonna would be on and they would be rowdy and they would be, you know, it would be a, quite a raucous crowd. And so there'd be more than one fight. You know, it was really, it was, it was pretty crazy when I think about it, the fact they had no security, but this once, once a lot of hours down there and this one security guard is, God, I wish I could remember his name. He was so cool. And we'd hang out and we'd talk and he would tell me stories about, about, you know, Vietnam. And he would tell me these stories about how, you know, he'd been a, a green beret. And, um, and I just remember that this was being so young and having, again, gone right from, a, a, you know, sort of this privileged life in high school to a, to a college, a private college, university. I had not met real people like this who who didn't weren't fortunate enough to have the upbringing that I did. And we became friends. And he would tell me these, he would tell me these crazy stories. And um, and then you know he he carried a gun. It was the first guy I ever knew. Like wow, this guy's carrying a gun, and he's Vietnam. And then he remember one night he told me that uh, you know his his wife learned the hard way that you know you could never wake him up in the middle of the night because he'd become so 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 ingrained in his head that when he was sleeping he would go sort of right for the chokehold um and he would tell me these stories and and I love the guy because again it was the first time that I really had met someone who had this this life experience that was so 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 different than mine um and and I realized like wow there are people out there who are carrying the weight of, you know, for us, we learned in high school, there was this thing, the Vietnam War. Well, lucky we weren't in it, you know, that we're carrying the weight of this around. Anyway, so one night, one day, we, you know, he's working and uh, like I said, this, this line would stretch, if, if it was Madonna, if it was clapped, and I remember the line would go for like 200 people. And they sort of would feed me to the wolves, I'd have to keep them all in line. And I remember <laughs> one, one, one night, someone was drunk and, you know, innocently enough, it shoved me or this or that. And this gentleman came out of nowhere and I'd I thought he was going to kill him. And I, I, I was like, wow, he was like a cat. And it was, it was, it was super cool to like, uh, you know, to always have that guy kind of have your back in the, in that lobby. Cause there was some weird, crazy people who would, who would come down there. Um, oh, yeah. for those Saturday Night Live things, man, especially when, when, when the, like, like you said, Elvis Costello, when some of the more, um, you know, non pop star, uh, people, you get some, you get some really interesting folks that would show. That would oh show. yeah. And and again, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, there was a dress rehearsal prior for, for those yep. listening. You know, the, the SNL that you see is live at 1130, but there is right. a dress rehearsal, which is a two hour show prior. And then um, when they go to air, all the seats have to be filled. That's so right. all these folks would come out Friday night and they'd sleep over till That's Saturday right. morning. And then the page, whoever opened up that day, would go out and yeah. hand out these tickets with numbers That's on them. Right. And That's then right. they, we would say, "Oh, come back at eleven, at eleven o'clock, let's say." And then we'll, uh, you know, and then if, and then all of a sudden, if the if there was a seat open, yeah. the pages and I'm and I and I love the pages for this. It was like it was like, give me five more. That's and right. We would get people from yeah. downstairs through security up in the elevator in their yeah. seats within a minute. 
I yeah. went for a cup of coffee this morning. It took me 25 minutes to get this coffee, you know. <laughs> well, it, it, you were upstairs because you were cool. Like I said, you were like, I was the schmuck down that lobby and it was lonely down there because you all were having fun up there. You know, don't forget, I could uh, never see the show. I had to stay down there for the entire show. But I told you, I got my revenge because uh, Susie got me working the door. So that that was, it all worked out for me. It's so, so funny. No, I, I mean, it's the, the, the story is so amazing. So I guess there's one, one or two others. Um, Donahue, uh, which was done on eight, yeah. the eighth floor k right to the side of uh the snl doors yep. so you would work that show and again donnie we've talked about it he's a yep. he's a total mensch i mean love that guy great so tell guy. us about that that story <laughs> this is a great story about rob port again almost getting his ass kicked so phil at that time was the man i mean you know uh it wasn't it wasn't what talk show television turned into phil was was would get some really a-list guests and at the time louis farrakhan was a really uh, hot topic button and he went on Phil's show and so I was coming down so Dave the, the, there was the East Bank elevators there was the middle elevators and there was the West like the West side elevators are the ones you would take to go up to Letterman that's the only way to get up to Letterman's floor remember right yes yeah okay then the East Bank and then the middle bank would only go up to nine so I was coming right. from the East Bank which is a really long hallway and and Farrakhan is walking down and he's got he's surrounded by the you know his his bodyguards and let me tell you something these dudes were like you know, some really intense looking individuals. But I also like, you know, this proud kid. I'm like, I'm not moving out of like, who's going to one of those things when you walk down those hallways at NBC, they weren't super wide. Right. So often one person would have to let the other person go by. But I was <laughs> moving for this guy. He had said some fairly unkind words towards my people. And I was not going to step aside for him. And as I got close, one of his um, bodyguards, you know, one of his Nation of Islam guys, I, this dude hit me. I don't mean he hit me. I just mean the, his body. He was like, uh, a, it was like Lawrence Taylor hitting you. Yeah. The dude just like, you know, just hip checked me into right. the wall. If you look on the, on the eighth floor, I guarantee you like Bugs Bunny, <laughs> there's still an imprint in the plaster of me from where this wow. dude just absolutely plowed me into the wall. And there you go. So that was my, ever since then, Dave, I always, you know, am back to just like, you know, run, run, you know what I mean? This in adversity, run and be a chicken. You know, it's much easier to just, you know, right. watch on TV and just criticize. Big wow. So, so you didn't, so he, you just, he, he walked by you. You just, uh, you don't walk by me. He, or just, he, you know, he just kept he, going. He literally and you just... threw me, like he threw me into wow. like, you're not going to move kid. I'm going to show you like, you know, it, it, this guy was strong. It was admirable, but I did end up at a party at Phil's, uh, and, uh, and, um, you know, what's his name? Marlo Thomas is, uh, he, he has oh. this incredible, apartment on fifth avenue at his, at his apartment yeah great guy wow he yeah. yeah and again and and it's so cool that people like Isn't Phil, he still alive Phil? He, I just, he, yeah i believe he is and I think Marla, yeah i mean they're they were Crazy. they were all so kind and again it's so cool and i'm he sure that everyone, super cool yeah always so nice to the pages and 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 his audience he was so nice yep. Phil was um, great just such a good guy and and all those you know all the um uh, you know, they, they don't have to be nice to us, but but yeah. it is much appreciated. And for the folks, Chris Farley that, you know, uh, was the nicest, I will say, yeah. out of all the people I ever met there. Chris Farley was the beyond just the nicest. He was the most gregarious and and just a, I remember seeing him in the middle of a tour once. And he like, pulled my <laughs> tour group in and he, you know, he, he saw him in the commissary and he said, have lunch. He would have lunch. He was he was the most gregarious uh, celebrity I've ever met in my life, hands down. Yeah, we would. And again, working, I working the desk, you know, we would take his messages on that little pink, yeah. you know, we would Those take pads, you know, that yeah. way. And, you know, he's like, any messages, any, any messages <laughs> for me, anyone coming, you know, 
Um, and I mentioned this before also, but he would he would always touch the pictures going into the studio. So yeah, he, would he had touch terrible OCD. Photos. Yeah, terrible OCD. You could see it. Uh, he was constantly like licking his hand and touching things. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. You didn't even have to be. I, I wasn't friends with him. Just but if you saw him, you know. Anyway, he was so right. sweet to all of us. Great guy. Great. He guy. was. He was so nice. Well, okay. Well, listen. I can't thank you enough. Oh this no, is, I got to finish uh, the one story. One more story. Oh, you got. Okay. Oh, Kesson, so oh. Okay, Kevin Nealon lived lives right near me, and so this is Kevin Nealon. I always thought was one of the best stand up comedians. I love Kevin him. I, I, he's one of my favorites. Okay. Love him. So we we live right near one another in the same town, and I would I've seen him you know probably thirty or forty times. Never you know I'm not going to bother him. You don't bother people in their home, but a couple of years ago there's a Fourth of July parade in my town where I live in the small little town. And uh, my son was, my youngest son was, I guess it was more than a couple of years ago. It was a few years ago. He was still in the stroller. And so Kevin's girlfriend or wife stopped to, to, to see my little son, Hudson. And there was Kevin. So, you know, I thought, okay, I, it's only proper. I say hi to him. I said, hey, Kevin, I know you'll never remember me, nor should you. But when you were on SNL, now remember, that's going back now 30 some odd years. When I'm saying this, when you were on SNL, uh, I was a page. And so without missing a beat, Kevin goes, Hey, so how's that working out for you? Still doing that? You still giving the tours and stuff? What's it like now? <laughs> you know, and it was so awesome. That's really funny. It was wow. Like, boom, without missing uh, a beat. So, yeah. Man, he was in it. Was, and I remember being at the desk. He used to do the, for the weekend update. He yep. asked, he came out, he was writing some jokes and he'd asked me, he's like, Which joke do you think is better? And oh, I, he read them to me and, and I picked one and he goes, he goes, well, I don't, I, I'm going to pick the other one. He, he, he didn't go with what I chose, but I, so I think cool. he's great. Yeah. I think he's really funny. Um, he was, I just heard he, he was on, um, well, I, I listened to the Carvey, you know, the, the fly on yeah. the wall podcast. So, um, I think he was on that recently, but I, I love listening. He's so funny. He's great. Yeah, he's <laughs> very funny, man. It is. Man. Well, again, so I can't believe it. It's, it's, it's like I said, we, we know each other now at least 40 years, I guess it's probably 40 years ish. Which is insane. Uh, yeah, we know if thirty, years. right? Yep, it's gotta that's be right. Yeah, it's fifteen, sixteen years. Yep, you're right. Absolutely right. Somewhere in that so range. We'll see each other like another forty years. Another we'll forty years. I'll give you a call. I'll see you on hundred. Give me a call on one hundred and six. We'll get through this again. I can't believe it. That's that's insane. Um, but uh, no, thank you so much. I mean, this is so exciting, and it's and great that you're doing this, Dave. I'm very I can't believe it. No, I I love it, and I and I and all your stories are amazing, and um, you, you know, you. it's gonna be uh fantastic so thanks for god bless you congrats for doing this okay buddy i'll see you thank you guys. ladies and gentlemen mr rob port everyone thanks for listening to a page in history a page in history is produced by david harris Katz entertainment for more information on our television shows syndication and more go to dhcats.com and to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.